Start spreading the news. <laughs> I'm leaving today. We're gonna make a brand new part of it on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Man, I love it when it starts with songs. <laughs> Musical edition. That's right. <laughs> Hope you're all ready. Okay, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about New York films. Like horror films that take place in New York. Uh, horror films that were like made in New York. Or by New York filmmakers. It's just New York, New York, New York. Uh, that's because, and we're doing this episode because uh, of Letterman leaving the. the oh, late show. now it is. You didn't even know it <laughs> until yesterday. I saw somebody post on Facebook today. It's like, I, I didn't even, even still on the air. I thought his show ended in the 80s. Oh. <laughs> anyway. So. This that'll be this will be a fun topic. Yeah, we'll have a good time with this. Um, we're starting off on a slightly smaller crew, but it may grow as time goes on. <laughs> we shall see. But first, it is time to introduce everybody to the podcast crew. This first person has been known to try to look up the dress of the Statue of Liberty. Jason Bollinger. <laughs> That's not true. Hey, everybody. Next up, this next person is a chud. <laughs> chud, chud meaning cannibalistic, haughty, underground librarian. Oh. The L is silent. Terry Turfer. Terry. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> hey, everybody. And lastly, we have a very special guest, and since it's the first time on his show, I'm probably going to slaughter his name, yep. John Stalter, everybody. You got it right. He did son it. Yes. Yeah, that is awesome. Son of, son of a bitch. Nobody ever gets it right. Let Hello, me try everyone. it again. <laughs> John Slather. I'm surprised he didn't mess it up. It's really weird. Uh, how you doing, John? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, um, like make him like introduce himself and stuff like you always do. Just about to. Okay. Paul <laughs> <laughs> never interrupted Dave like this. I'm just saying. Oh. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> so, John, why don't you uh, tell everybody out there in podcast land a little bit about yourself? Um. Pretty much grew up in Iowa. Been a huge fan of horror for as long as I can remember. All started with uh, Night of the Living Dead, which Woo. a lot of people have started that way. And it's just branched out, and the more I can find, the better. The more messed up, the better. Yeah. Nice. That's what I like to hear, more messed up. Cool. <laughs> Challenge accepted. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, 
John, if I were to have to ask you the dreaded question that all horror fans hate getting asked, <laughs> and what is your favorite horror movie, your answer <sighs> would be... Yeah, see? Everybody hates that question. See, I always say Night of the Living Dead because it's the one that got me into the genre, but uh, I'm a huge fan of Maniac. What? Nice. It is... Ever since I saw the poster, you know, or the VHS cover when I was younger, I'm just like, I need to see this movie. And I've just, I've loved it ever since I saw it. It's, it's just, you know, sleazy and nasty. Oh, the way yeah. a good horror movie should be. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we'll definitely get into that film with its topic <laughs> as well. Um, but what did you think of the remake? I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Elijah Wood did a great job. They, Heck yeah. they pulled it off. I mean, it's one of the best remakes ever, honestly. Yeah, yeah. If not one of the best like horror films of the past, you know, five, ten years or so. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, awesome. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Okay, so um, no Dustin yet. Yet. So I'm trying to talk slower in hopes that he'll jump on soon. <laughs> That's why you're talking slower. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we do... Killer news or wait or what do we what do we do? What do we do in this situation? I'm Terry, I say do it. Oh, ooh. And Terry must have prepared some killer news then. Yeah, so <laughs> let's, let's go to Terry. Terry for some killer news. <laughs> Take it away, Terry. Oh come on, that's not cool, you guys. Now it's time for killer news. Straight from the headlines on Attack on the Killer Podcast. Um, well, uh, there was a trailer. Now who's talking slow? There was a trailer for the new show Scream Queens. Did you guys watch that? I have not seen that yet. Looks intriguing. I mean, you got Jamie Lee in there, so makes that that alone makes it worth watching to give it a shot i guess um i don't even really know (laughs) i think it's a fox show if i remember correctly and it has like abigail breslin as well and um what's her face from american horror story i'm i'm don't talk to me so what is it I don't, it's, well, it starts out, the trailer starts out, it's like, it seems like a, like a sorority show, like it's set on a college campus within the sorority, and it looks kind of dorky, and it takes a while to get into it, but then everything turns horror, and um, people start dying, there's almost kind of a Motel Hell-esque moment in there, like, it doesn't explain why, but all these girls are buried up to their necks in, in the dirt. And one of them is getting mowed down by a lawnmower. Nice. But, I don't know. That's all I got for Killer News. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the trailer right now as, as we speak. The one that you posted for us, Terry. Uh-huh. That's and nice. So, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it, you're right. It does have Jamie Lee Curtis. So right yeah, here. she's like the dean of the school, is what it appears to be. 
Oh, okay, there we go. Now I'm seeing the the girls buried. Yeah, that's it was very motel hellish. Um Well while he watches that, this is really interesting. <laughs> um did anyone see uh, watch John Potta's new short? The pity short? Shit. No, I meant to. I'm so happy that it went up though. Been what? Dying. I'm so happy it went up. I've been dying to see it. I even posted links to this stuff, you guys. You're supposed yeah. to watch them. Like, when I post them. Just stop everything. And <laughs> do what Terry says. Yes. Always. So, the campus cop in this, um, Scream Queen show, is that the, the woman from one? Yes. Okay. It is. So is this supposed to... I, I put it on mute. I couldn't do both at the same time, obviously. <laughs> um, is this supposed to be kind of comical? Uh, it appears to be. I mean, it doesn't look... I mean, what did it say, like, from the people who brought you American Horror Story or something like that? Yeah. But I, I definitely don't... It definitely doesn't... Just from the trailer, obviously does not have that dark a tone. Yeah, it definitely seems more comedic. At least that's the way they played the trailer off. But um, did you see? I'm surprised no one's brought up the Empire of the Dead. I actually, honestly, I just now saw that, like uh, right before <laughs> we started recording, and I didn't get a chance to read the the article. So, and we'll see. You know, um, I mean, as much as I love George Romero. Number one, I haven't read the comic yet, so I have no idea, but... Okay, but do you see, it says the folks behind Tusk. So is this a Kevin Smith thing? Like, Oh, I don't know. I'm, I mean, that sounds promising, if that's true. I don't know. <laughs> Weird, though. Like, Kevin Smith and George Romero teamed up. But let's not forget, Tom Savini was in Zack and Mary Make a Porno, and it was, <laughs> and it was filmed in Pittsburgh. Not that George Romero's in Pittsburgh anymore. I guess he's pure Canadian now, but... <laughs> I know, you got me curious now, I'm looking it up. <laughs> Stupid computer. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I want to bring something up it, it it's not necessarily 100 percent horror related but you know we always have those conversations about like those films that may not necessarily be horror but definitely appeal to fans of horror and like who all seen the new man max right oh man that was so oh good. my god so <laughs> good. hell yeah jason and i went and saw that saturday or Sunday. Or Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys saw it in 3D, right? That's right. Was it good in 3D? Fuck yeah, it was. Damn it. See, now I need to see it in 3D. I don't know. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really feel like it added much to, for me. There was a couple of really cool, like, eye poppy things. I think any more for 3D, because I had the same it, thing okay. with the Avengers. Like, um... Like, I didn't get anything out of the 3D with the Avengers. And I just, I think, like, what's happening now is is I'm just getting so accustomed to the 3D that it doesn't exist. It, it, it's not 
obvious to me when I'm watching the movie. I'm so into the movie that I forget about the 3D. Because the only time that the 3D really stood out to me in Mad Max is when the when um, when the guitar came flying out at the screen. Mm. Yeah. Which see, was obviously I, a 3D moment. Yeah, like I when I was watching it in not 3D, uh, that moment, uh, I was like, oh. Because I didn't even realize it was a 3D film. Like, I didn't realize they had released it in 3D. And I saw that moment, and I'm like, it took me out for a second. I'm like, that was an obvious 3D shot there. So they must have done it. And I'm not against totally obvious 3D shots, because, you know kind of want those if you're going to go see a 3D movie but you know like you know like um still one of the best 3D movies of all time the remake of my bloody valentine you know pickaxe goes flying out of the screen yeah. it's freaking awesome but for me as much as i love the the guy and the guitar and i got a kick out of him every time he was on screen but that moment when the guitar's flying at the screen and then it then it pulls back by the cord like a bungee cord and i'm like okay it, it it, it it crossed the line for me on the on the whole guitar guy thing. I guess I don't I don't need gags to to justify being called 3D like or enjoying no, enjoying 3D because like mm-hmm. I know it's all about the depth of field more than anything else. I understand. Yeah, I mean, and I'm with you on the like it's awesome that you get used to it and don't notice it. But it feels a little catch-22, like, oh, it wasn't very good in 3D. Why? Because it didn't have gags. But then most people hate gags. So yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've still, the only 3D movie I've ever seen in the theater was Jurassic Park. Same here. And, I mean, it's awesome. Like, you get that depth of field, and that's it's really cool. Um, but, you know, that movie obviously didn't have any 3d gags because it was made pre 3d um but it was it was enjoyable but i i I don't know i think 3d is a little overrated oh i i disagree a lot as far as the overrated part but like for me it's all about the like it enhances the experience so much like and i don't need gags is what i mean like the depth of field it like does it draws you into this movie even more than a flat screen i don't know it like makes you in it I like you, it enhances the movie going experience for me i know i know a lot of people have complaints about 3d versus seeing it not in 3d is is that the all the images just seem darker in 3d is that I've a never heard thing that, but i've heard that too but so can't verify so, it. So I probably I, would have gotten motion sickness if I tried to watch Mad Max in 3D because I am very prone to motion sickness. Well, I'll just not watch 3D. I think grow up in the theater. <laughs> I think the last best 3D experience I had was when we saw Texas Chainsaw in 3D, the the last one, and that that opening sequence of seeing the original footage done in 3d. And so I don't know if it was because I already knew what that's supposed to look like. So I really got much more of a sense of the depth of field or, or if maybe, or, I don't know. If the, I don't the know. If novelty the of it is what 
the novelty of it maybe, but or if maybe if this makes any sense that the projected images that I'm seeing are a lot more still. Like the camera's not moving all over the place. And so I can kind of so my eyes can translate the depth of field a lot more. Does that make any sense? As opposed to like Mad Max where things are just so fast paced and the camera camera's moving everywhere and and uh and it, it never really stands still for very long. Yeah. We get it. Those old eyes of yours barely work as it is, so it's you need it as still as possible. No. That's what you're saying, right? Okay. <laughs> you're still. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but the movie's freaking awesome. Yeah, definitely. So good. I kind of want to go see it again. I kind of do too. But I still need to go see Avengers two for the second time too, though. I told myself I wanted to see that more than once, so I'm done it yet. All right, favorite part of Mad Max? Go, Terry. Duh, why am I always first? Because Ladies first. Ah, F. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Go to someone else. I wasn't prepared. All right. Uh, John. Spoiler alert. Face ripoff. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. That was so amazing. And what I liked about it is it was, in a way, kind of restrained. Like, it wasn't ultra gory like it could have been. I mean, yeah, for exactly. such an over-the-top movie, they definitely held back on the gore, but it was just the fact that they did that was so badass. Yeah. So violent. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. disgusting. And then kind of showed it later, and I was like, what? Yeah. So, the main bad guy in the movie, I've heard through the... I mean, I, it's been so long since I've seen the original three films that I have no frame of reference anymore. Um... But I, I've heard through the rumor vine or whatever that that character, the bagginess, is supposed to be a, a character from one of the previous films. It's well, just that, the same actor. Yeah, he, he played oh. Toad Hunter or whatever in the first one. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Not the character, but the actor. Right, yeah, because yeah. that character obviously died. He's the one that gets mowed down by like a semi in, in the first film. Honestly, it's been so long. I don't remember the first film like, at all. The scene, like his, the one where his eyes bulge out all crazy right before he gets mowed down. You don't remember that? I'm telling you, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember. Okay. I think I remember earlier on in the film. He's driving around in a police car, and I think I also remember he had a dog. Or was that Road Warrior? <laughs> you need to uh, stop watching Neon Maniacs. It's pushing it all out. <laughs> Dude, Neon Maniacs is awesome. Let's talk about that. I just saw that for the first time last week. Yeah! So good. I yeah! found a copy of it in Cedar Rapids, and I'm like, yep, buying this, just because of the cover. Oh, I love this. Dude, That's it's one of my favorite movies. I can't believe that I'd never heard of it before. Like, how the hell did that, you know, skip my life for 33 years? It was so good. So bad. I grew up on so that bad. movie because USA Up All Night used to show that constantly. What oh, is... It's so good. Like, why? <laughs> like, who are these neon maniacs? And why if is it's, there a samurai? Why is there a samurai and a robot and yeah. a and a caveman? Yeah. And if they're 
kills them. Why do they live in the Golden Gate Bridge? <laughs> oh, it's such a good movie. It's so awesome. Okay, I'm calling it right now. Neon Maniac. Next time we do a Terry, guys, commentary episode, it's got to be Neon Maniacs. Oh, that'd be awesome. Awesome. Heck yeah. You want to know my favorite part of Mad Max? Oh, yeah. What's your favorite part of Mad Max? The part where he's uh, carrying a guy over his shoulder, and then he looks up, and there's hot chicks in water washing themselves. <laughs> that was my favorite part. They were hot. I don't know. They were nipping. It looked like they were cold to me. Always the jokester. Terry, did you figure it out yet what your favorite part is? God, can I just say the whole fucking movie? I guess uh, if you want to cheat. That's yeah, fine. you want to be a big cheater. Well, I was a big fan of uh, the character of Nux, too. Who's? He was pretty awesome. Nux? I don't know. They all had awesome names that I only understood the, at the he credits. Was the main war boy <laughs> that stayed along for most of the ride. Oh, he was cool. Yeah, he, he was, was really cool. cool. Very cool. I, and I kind of called it, too, like. When you kind of first meet him, I'm like, I bet this guy's going to be, like, a, the bad guy that's going to turn good. And... Yeah. Well, and I do, like, that scene with him and uh, Max, like, on his car, like, when they were going through the dust storm, mm -hmm. that that was a pretty awesome scene. Oh, and yeah. the dust storm was really great, even though it was, like, some of the only CGI. noticeable CGI in the entire movie. It was done really well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Least favorite part? I'll go first. Okay. The whole movie was pretty awesome. My least favorite part, I would have to say, is that it. I may have heard like six sentences in the whole, understood six uh -huh. sentences in the whole movie. Yeah, I didn't understand a, a <laughs> bit of dialogue until... Um, Charlie started talking? Until she asked what his name was. What? Up to that point, I'm like, are they speaking English? I, don't I wasn't know sure. What's like, should I be seeing subtitles? I don't know what's happening. I didn't think it was that bad. Oh. You and your young ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of Tom Hardy. Oh, I don't really? know I've never heard a girl say that before. That's I don't ever say that because... I he is amazing normally. I don't I don't know, just like I, there were moments that I really really liked him and then there were other moments that I kind of got taken out of it because I didn't like him. Hmm. I don't know what it was. Like uh, mostly when he was speaking, I yeah. think like I didn't like him speaking, but all the other stuff was awesome. <laughs> so if you could just have Tom Hardy in a gag, you would be happy. Yes, oh, yeah. please. Oh, okay. Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, the, I guess the, maybe there was a couple of dialogue moments that kind of felt a little um, baney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that was part of my problem. But I will say, like, there was also several moments where I'm, I, I'm like, okay, this was the perfect replacement for Mel Gibson. Yeah. Like there was a couple moments where I I, I thought it, you know it, it was very reminiscent of Mel Gibson. 
in those original films. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you betcha. So, Matt. Matt What's that? A, what? You cut out. What'd you say? Oh, okay. Sorry, my computer's being dumb. So Mad Max, definitely uh, a recommend from everybody here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Go see it if you haven't seen it already. So we should probably get into the topic at hand. Right? Maybe? Probably. Yeah. Why not? So New York. It's a cool town. Like, it is. Well, I've never been. You've been. Yep. Um... New York kind of gets, is kind of, um, well known for horror, especially, you know, when you deal with, like, urban horror films and stuff like that, but, like, also the kind of the horror scene, um, when you have, like, the 80s at the highlight of, like, the Grindhouse Cinema, and, uh, all those, all those grungy theaters that would play, um, movies like, uh, Maniac and, and stuff like that, um. So uh, that's why I figure like New York would be a um, a great topic. There's been so many great films that have taken place uh, in or around or about New York. Um, we we can totally get into that. But uh, um, John had brought it up before. But for me, anytime I think of New York, especially gross, dirty '80s, early '80s New York, I think of definitely um, Maniac. Hell yeah. Yeah. So you say uh, you're a pretty big fan of Maniac there, mm-hmm. John. Um, what What is it about Maniac that you enjoy? Well, it's very nasty and sleazy, like I said. But the the character of Frank, he you kind of feel sorry for him. He's, you know, just this big, fat schlub of a loser, you know, with mommy issues. And you kind of feel bad for him, and then he kills somebody in a horrible way, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't care for this guy. Like, probably shouldn't, ha- you know, have any feelings towards this character. Like, you know, I feel bad his mommy treated him poorly or whatever. But it's just, it's some violence that I've, you know, never, I'd never seen in a horror movie. Yeah. It was just so new to me when I, when I saw it. I was like, holy shit, this was made in the 80s? Like, what the hell? It was definitely nastier than, I think, anything else at the time. And really, to this day, it's still one of the nastiest movies I've seen. Yeah, I mean, you just want to take a shower after watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, you got, uh, you got, oh, I'm, blank. I'm just drawing a blank. I can't think of the actor's name that plays the lead in the movie. Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell. Yeah, he's just he's just greasy and sweating all over the place through the whole movie. <laughs> um you know, and then just the uh, the backdrop of like the CD side in New York uh just uh, being gross. And then you got like the amazing effects of Tom Savini. I think it's some of the best uh, Savini work um out of his entire catalog. I mean, the man blows up his own head in that yeah. in that movie. That's that's one of the highlights of that movie for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 one of the best in my it's one of the best um, exploding headshots in cinema. 
it definitely ranks way up there. What's great about it too is uh, is the fact that it's a slow motion shot. Mm-hmm. Like they they show that in just nice bloody gory slow motion detail. So and I agree with you on the um, having sympathy for Joe Spinell's character. Um, it's just, it is kind of weird, though, like on the pacing side. I mean, there's been other uh, horror movies out there that uh, that make you follow, you know, the, the killer through the whole movie, where the killer is kind of the protagonist, you know. Um, you know, movies like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, um, stuff like that, where either... Either a, it's a it's a movie where they train they don't create any sympathy for the for the for the guy, or they create a lot of sympathy for the guy where you really kind of you know wish and hope that he, um, you know, almost wishing that he gets away with what he gets away with, or that he becomes a better person by the end of the movie and 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 repents for his sins or whatever. But what's weird about this one is this, it's got kind of like a mix of both. Because when when he's killing, he is he's just a straight he's a straight up slasher, mm-hmm. you know, and and just uh, just you know dirty and nasty. But then there's a but then on you know during his day job or whatever, he's uh, just a lot more of a sympathetic character. Well, yeah, well, and how he interacts with uh, Carolyn Monroe's character, you know, he he does you know actually want to care for this this person. Mm-hmm. But he's got that side of him where his mom's telling him no, you know, that kind of thing. Like, just kill her, basically. Yeah. And whoever thought Joe Spinell could pull off, you know, a, uh, <laughs> a sympathetic uh, character, you know? Yeah. The guy definitely does not have, like, the appearance of a character that you would sympathize with. Um, not to mention that he's already playing, like... A serial killer, and he still manages to kind of pull out that kind of performance. It, it speaks volumes of the guy. I it, you know, uh, he didn't get enough chance to hit the spotlight really. Yeah, it's it. Well, it sucks that he died because I would have loved to have seen where they wanted to go with Maniac too. Yeah, exactly. That's, Did you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna ask if you'd ever seen his other horror. That he stars in um, the last, what's it called? The last horror show. Yeah, I think his name of it. Oh yeah, which which kind of almost is a sequel per se, or or mm-hmm. maybe even just a another version of uh, of Maniac, because it's the same thing. Only his his mother's not dead this time, but yeah. Um, and then uh, and he's still hunting down um, uh, Carolyn Monroe, so. Yeah, that movie's all right, but it's it can't hold a candle to Maniac. But it's I mean it's still worth a watch just to to see them interact and whatnot because they're good. She's a great actress. I always like watching movies with her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's probably been a while since you've seen Maniac. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, you did with Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember enough. I know, I know I've seen it. It's just been so long. Now I feel bad like I'm letting John down. <sighs> so disappointed. I'll have to watch it soon. Sure love the remake, though. Oh, so good. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard a phone. <laughs> yes, somebody's dinging. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know who that would be. Um, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, have you seen Maniacs, the original? Uh, sadly, I have not. <sighs> I know. But I have seen the remake. Which okay, you is, redeemed yourself. Is awesome. <laughs> I just don't know. I need to try to f get my hands on it. it. The original somewhere. Mike's got the tin set. Oh. Yeah. Fancy. Yeah. I I do the numbered tin set, which is awesome. Where Love do you it. live? I'll, I'll come over and get that. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool because it's got that awesome, iconic poster right on the front of the tin. You know, where it's just, it's him from, like, uh, the, the chest down. With his gut hanging out. With the, Yeah, with the gut hanging out, holding the knife, holding the severed head. Um, and with that, that poster created controversy back in the day because... And it's obviously so intentional, but like the shadow, the shading on the poster around the groin area, because he's oh, holding the head in that. one hand, the knife in the other, it totally makes it look like he's got a boner. Totally mm -hmm. does, because I'm got looking at it right now. Yep. It's just the shadows, guys, of the head and the knife, really. Come on. What? It doesn't really have a boner. No, nah, that's a definite chub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean there were there were billboards in New York of this poster back in the day. That's that's just awesome. But people uh, got their panties in a bunch about it, I guess. Because that's what people do. Now was the re the remake was in New York too, wasn't it? I thought, I thought it was L.A. Oh, was it? Okay, I guess that explains I why. That's why I never saw it on any lists when I was coming up else for this episode. But, yeah, and Elijah Woods also pulls out a very sympathetic performance, but yet can be extremely creepy at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> like, I, when they announced that he was going to be in the title role, I was so against it. And then I saw the movie, and I'm like, nope, creepiest bastard alive. Like, holy shit, I don't think I could ever meet him on the street. <laughs> well, like his character in uh, Sin City. Sin City, yeah. Yeah, like that, my buddy said, just, you know, you've seen that movie. Just think of it like that. Like, he, he was really good in that as a silent, you know, killer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, well, and then Maniac just, ugh, his creepy eyes. See, and that was, that was yes, exactly. It's in his eyes. Because um, that was, I mean, that was it for me. I had faith that he could do it because of Sin City and his, his performance in that, even though it was a silent performance. But, like, I thought he was the, I thought he was extremely creepy in Sin City. Mm-hmm. So. And he nailed it. I thought he was really creepy in Flipper. <laughs> <laughs> the good son. I was I was joking. Have you seen uh, Flipper? It's about a dolphin. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. Okay. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, Maniac. Check it out. William Lustig is the director of Maniac, who is kind of of a New York-based director. I think all of his films take place in New York. At least the Maniac Cop series. Yeah. Have we all seen the Maniac Cop films? I've seen the first one. Same. Same. <laughs> Same. Uh-huh. Well, uh, oh. I think I've seen. I think I've seen two, but I know I have not seen three. I saw part of two. I think just the beginning. What do you mean by eh? I kind of didn't continue to watch it after the beginning. Because yeah. uh, I'm an awful person. That must be it, yeah. Oh. Excuse me, I gotta drive away on my motorcycle. <laughs> I probably should have shut my door before recording. Well, I thought about saying something. Can you hear the birds chirping back there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really? Um, yes. I- Oh, okay, a Maniac Cop. And I forgot about this fun fact, too. Another New York-based um, writer, director, filmmaker, Larry Cohen, who did such great classic films as... Anybody? God told me to. Yeah, there you go. Love that and, movie. And my personal favorite, The Stuff. Heck yeah. And um, Q, The Wink Serpent. A lot of great stuff. It's alive. It's alive two, it's life three. Um, anyway, he's the writer of Maniac Cop, so that's pretty cool. Cool. That is cool. Yeah. So, while I go shut my door, um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Maniac Cop, Terry? Um, it has Bruce Campbell in it, so... Oh, of course. <laughs> always goes back to Bruce. That's always a good selling point. Um, no, but it has Bruce Campbell and Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins for the win. <laughs> I mean, done. Like, what more do you need? <laughs> um, I really like Robert Zadar. Uh-huh. Like... He's just got... He's so interesting looking. May he rest in peace, because he just died not that long ago. But just the iconic maniac cop face. The chin. Did one of us not know that was real? I thought that it was fake when I first watched it. And then you guys told me that was just his face. Oh, yeah. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Good old Robert Zadar. Who is no longer with us? I just said that. He said all those things. <laughs> you just said all that. I was just confirming it. Oh. Right. Right. What did you say? Who else was in this movie? Tom Atkins. Yeah. You said Bruce. I heard you say that. So shush. <laughs> <laughs> also, Richard Roundtree. It's in there. So, yeah. yeah. Dirty New York movie. Yep, definitely um, 
you can kind of see, you can kind of get like the, um, maybe the textures and the feels, like you know, you know, the lighting, the uh, the the sets and whatnot. Um, you can definitely get the connection of William Lustig from Maniac to Maniac Cop. It's a weird William Lustig is like. Let me see what his filmography. Um, he has done. He has made how many films? He has made twelve. He's directed twelve. Twelve films, at least legitimate films, not counting pornos that he's probably made. Um, that's how he got. His, that's how he got his start. He started working in the porn industry. Well, there are two on here where he's listed as Billy Bag, and they sound like erotica films. Hot honey. Hot honey, yeah. The violation the- of Claudia. Oh, God. <laughs> that is some, that is some sleaze right there. <laughs> but out of those twelve films, four of them um, have the name Maniac in the title. <laughs> it's very true. And then Uncle Sam. Yeah, Uncle Sam, right? Oh, that take God. place in New York too? I can't remember. I don't. I just thought it was a small town. Somewhere. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. Larry Cohen wrote that as well. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. But um, I, I I've heard. I, I really want to see it. Um, I wanted to see Maniac Cop 3, just not been able to find it, because I heard it is, like, extremely bizarre in comparison. Like, the Maniac Cop, you know, he's, like, resurrected from the dead, and he's, like, on this mission. It's kind of a hospital horror film. I, uh, I hear that a good chunk of it takes place in the hospital, and there's, like, a female cop that gets killed, and she gets brought back to life, so it's, like, like Bride of Maniac Cop, I guess. It just sounds awesome. Oh, I might have to buy this. 17 bucks on Amazon. Oh, there we go. Might have to get that. Yeah. All right, so I guess that's all we got for Maniac Cop. Hmm. Terry, why don't you tell us, uh, why don't you bring up a, a New York film that we can talk about? Okay. Um, how about American Psycho? Yeah. Sweet. Woo! Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what's so cool about this, it, it, I mean, it's set in New York, what's so cool about it is that, you know, it's kind of a retrospective on 80s New York, you know? It was done in, what, like, right around <laughs> the millennium? Yeah, 2000. Um, but we get all the cool 80... And, well, actually, you don't really see a lot of the city. Like, thinking back, you see a lot of interiors and not so many exteriors. Probably. Yeah, because... Yeah. It's just, all about the 80s excess and all that. And, it, yeah. And, and... What was he, a lawyer? It, no, he's an investment banker. Oh, that's right. Like on Wall Street. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm a big fan of movies with psychos in them. Like I, just, it's 
it's almost like it's almost satirical and just hilarious but so creepy at the same time um christian bale is just perfect i haven't read this book that's another one i want to do sometime for my segment but um iconic movie i love it i think one of my my favorite moments is when he's um he's running through the lobby and he's like shooting people (laughs) and he he goes back through the door because he missed one and he shoots him and he keeps he doesn't even stop in the the turnstile door he just keeps going shoots him and goes back out (laughs) cool Jason you really got me into business cards (laughs) <laughs> um, was that how it, was that it was that how it happened really turned a corner on business cards after watching that <laughs> <laughs> is that silly and rail <laughs> the, the font raised lettering <laughs> raised lettering yeah maybe it's Off important white coloring <laughs> eggshell or yeah what? yeah <laughs> Did you guys ever... Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Did you guys have... I just like to... I just, I just appreciated a movie that put Huey Lewis back into the spotlight. Oh, hell yeah. He was never out of the spotlight in my world. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit it. I am a huge yeah. Huey Lewis and the News fan. Heck nice. yeah. I, Heck I'm a sucker yeah. for 80s crap pop like that. Like, Heck yeah. It's just fun. I don't have to think. It's good. Oh, yeah. Who are you listening to? News? All the awesome. Phil Collins and Genesis in there. It's awesome. Oh, I think that's why he actually kills, because he was listening to Phil Collins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys ever see the Huey Lewis Weird Al parody of the, oh, of the, that was yes. the best. Huey Lewis scene? Yeah. It's so awesome. Uh, I don't think I have seen that. It's 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 the scene um, where they're doing a parody of the scene where um, Christian Bale's playing the Huey Lewis and he's going through the whole for you Jared Leto's character. Yeah, and going through the whole you know he's got the you know the raincoat raincoat on and all that, um, <laughs> and he's and he's given that in depth explanation and meaning to Huey Lewis music or whatever. Sure. So they so in this it it's Weird Al and Huey Lewis hanging out, and Weird Al's Weird Al's the one in the chair while Huey oh. Lewis and they're watching American Psycho and so he's going through and giving almost kind of like verbatim the same type of speech only he's talking about American Psycho where Christian Bale was talking about Huey Lewis, and then you know, like that sounds familiar now that you're talking about it I may have seen this before, and then like. And then Huey Lewis just like goes and chops chops him up and is just like do another parody of one of my songs, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well, and we also get performances from Jared Leto and Reese Witherspoon. I always forget that she's the girlfriend in this movie for some reason. Huh. Oh wow! Yeah, I guess I forgot that too. <laughs> I and I, I, I always I always use the. I need to return some videotapes line and see who can, like, like, where are you going? 
I have to return some videotapes and just to see if anyone actually gets the reference. Uh, oh, so funny. I love it. And how often do people get the reference? Oh, quite a bit, actually. Oh, nice. Good. Good. I'll have to start doing that more often again. Yes, you should. Oh, let's not forget the scene with the kitten where he's trying to feed the kitten to the ATM. That's another good scene. <laughs> feed me a stray cat. <laughs> oh, so insane. It's awesome. But I also, I'm a big fan of like, uh, I kind of like the scenes where, you know, there's not necessarily quirky dialogue, but like the scenes at the beginning just like his his preparation for the day not just because he's mostly naked it doesn't uh -huh. hurt uh -huh. but but you know just this crazy like ocd routine that you know he goes through every day it's just i like those little insights into the mind of a psychopath like i think those are really interesting i like those sorts of things i should have been a psych major <laughs> uh -huh. I'd still not be making money. It's okay. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, American Psycho. Totally. Also directed by a female director, which you don't see a whole lot. Mary Karen. Yeah. Just to note that. And a very male-dominated movie. Very mm -hmm. much so. Which, you know, and it's got those moments in it, too, that one could say, you know, it could be considered, um, and if it was a male director, it would definitely be considered rather exploitive, you know, between the, the violence and the nudity in it, but... Yeah, so I find it always interesting that uh, with subject matter that's that is usually dominated by male filmmakers, and have a female uh, filmmaker doing the same thing. So, all right, cool. Beans. <laughs> but. With American Psycho, you know, and it, it, yes, it still is like 80s New York, but with the fact that the, a lot of the themes are focused on, like, you know, uh, consumerism and, and excess and whatnot of, the, mm -hmm. of what was going on in the 80s, definitely shows the more upscale side of New York of things than, oh, say, yeah, Maniac. So, quite the opposite, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not the down and dingy, it's the creepy upscale douchebags yeah still still smarmy and sleazy they're just yeah, <laughs> just in a different yeah. way yeah 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 i gotta go get my sea urchin sushi or whatever the hell you know <laughs> and a duck sauce <laughs> all right so jason what do you got for new york films um i I'm a big fan. One of my favorite movies. And it's one of those that, like, it's up there with 
Um, oh, son of a bitch, that Jennifer Connelly movie with the double. You know what I'm. You know that movie. <laughs> you know with that guy that was in with the teeth and the drugs. Come on. Requiem for a dream. Yeah. So. I know what you were saying when you said Jennifer Connelly and double. So I know you did. Fill in the blank. That's why we always win at that one game. But anyway. <laughs> um, but it's a lot like Requiem for a Dream for me where it's like, except, I mean, I like this movie so much and it's so good, but it's like hard to watch because it scares me. But uh, Jacob's Ladder. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's a hard rewatch, I think. It is. I've only ever seen it once. Oh, that's wow. It's been years. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's been years for me too. But I know I watched it early when it came out, ish. And it, I mean, it that first time, man, it fucked me up. It was like I just fell into it and followed it the whole way, you know, and just like, what? This movie's so crazy. That was like one of the first movies. That was one of the first movies too to do the, the the um the jittery, shaky movement. Yeah. That's unnatural shaky movement. Oh, fuck that shit. I hate it. That became oh. super popular in music videos in the nineties. And and Japanese oh. and in Japanese horror films too <laughs> of the yeah. of the two thousands. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of weird. Like it all it all goes back to Jacob's Ladder. So what is Jacob's Ladder, Jason? There's probably a couple people out there who's never seen it. Um, uh, Including it's a, me. It's a psychological no. thriller. I know Mike likes that. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> was, Mike would love to live in a world where there were four genres and that was it. <laughs> but, well, that's not true, because he, he, he wants 20 subgenres of horror... Right. But anything that doesn't have horror in it, he doesn't like it. So, <laughs> there's what? no such thing as a freaking thriller, man. It's, it's just, it's this, it's, it's a made-up genre. Well, they're all made up. I get it. But it's a made-up, it's a made-up genre as an excuse <laughs> to rationalize horror films as to not be horror films because they're quote unquote above what horror films are. Silence of the Fucking Lambs is a horror movie. Not a thriller. Not a stupid thriller, Academy Awards. <laughs> You're well, saying that's the only reason it won? The only way it's going to get nominated for anything is if it isn't a horror movie. So, mm -hmm. you know, they did what they had to do, Mike. <laughs> yeah, and that's why Academy Awards blows and... <laughs> And the word thriller is stupid. <laughs> I mean, how would how do you define that that genre? What what would be the definition it's, of? It's a horror movie thriller? with action. So yeah, yeah, it's one or the other, though, right? That's not true, though, either. Okay. No, it it's just it's a fancy <laughs> label to disguise your horror movie as it's something bullshit above a is. horror movie. It is bullshit. <laughs> like I wouldn't call Silence, I and I I know I keep going back to Silence of the Lambs, but that's what sparked it all those years ago for me. But Silence of the Lambs isn't necessarily actiony. Well, she has a running scene. Come on, <laughs> it's training. 
Anyway, Terry, next time you come over, just ask him where the thriller section is in his DVDs and watch him erupt. It's fun. Anyway, oh, and he muted. He's out. He's gone. He's so mad. Oh, Oh, sounded like he muted. It was so funny. I was flipping y'all off. Oh. Psychological, not thriller. Uh, With Tim Robbins, that's all you need to know. It's really good. He's a war vet and shit just starts going crazy. That's all I remember. I'm too scared to remember any more than that. Isn't there like a party scene and he's hallucinating something with a lizard tail? Or am I thinking of a different movie? Or was that my dream last night? I don't know. Might have been your dream last night. (laughs) Sexual fantasy. Man, seriously, it's sad. I'm just try- starting to th- trying to think of this movie, and all I can it, that was a David Lynch honest, film you're talking about. Honestly, all I can really remember is just the the you know the jittery people with well, no faces. I think from what I, I think I remember, I don't have IMDb up or anything, but I just remember him being like a war vet, and he comes back, and he just has a hard time dealing with shit going on. He might have had a family. He had he he went to therapy, right? With uh, there was a a says, girlfriend or a wife or something. It's been I, a while. It says he's mourning his dead child uh, in the description. Oh yeah, and his therapist is a cool dude. Um, some Italian guy, Doc Ock or something. I don't remember. That's His not, real name. That's not Danny Aiello. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny Aiello. Yeah. So it's, it's honestly, it's it's a just sad, cloudy, depressing fucking movie that doesn't get better than that, <laughs> and only gets worse because shit starts going weird, and you're and like, just, what the fuck? And well, the just, ending is pretty fucked up. Oh isn't my it? god, it's I, I wouldn't want to spoil it. Because that's a big Don't. part of it. Yeah, but I it's worth it. it. It's worth it. It's one of my favorite movies, even though I obviously watch it a lot. <laughs> but uh, well, I know why you don't, and I'm actually actually, it's a little shocking to hear you call it one of your favorite movies because oh, I know how you feel about movies where your protagonist never seems to catch a break. Yeah, and he just keeps going down further and further into the rabbit hole, man. Things yeah. just get keep getting more and more weirder and fucked up. The more he tries to hold on to reality, the more reality devolves for him. So, And the reason it would be one of my favorites is just because the first time I did watch it, I definitely had an experience with the story and with the ending. And yeah, that's true. It was like, it was, t- I mean, <laughs> it was touching. It's like, it's like, you know, I guess I can't say that, never mind, but. It's is good. I, I I love it a lot. I always recommend it. It's not. I yeah. It's. I wouldn't call it a straight horror movie. It's dark. It's definitely dark and fucked up and interesting. But when can that just be it. a genre? Just fucked, fucked up. up. I want to go to the <laughs> fucked up section of Walmart and find some horror movies. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Where's your fucked up section? <laughs> Yeah, Jacob's Ladder on the shelf there with Elsa, She Wolf of the SS, and I Spit on Your Grave. All titles you'll find out. Uh, and the fucked up little ponies over here. What the hell? 
I'm a little bummed I didn't. I was I was planning on trying to watch this one for this episode, and I didn't get it in. So I'm a little bummed that I didn't. So we'd have at least one pair of fresh eyes on it. And... Yeah. Well, I hope you still get a chance. I, I love it. I mean, if you if you like, you're out of nightmares and you want some more. <laughs> it's probably a good one to really fresh just soak out. up. Fresh yeah. out. <laughs> just sit down when it's dark and soak it up. Hell yeah. I I I find the uh, comparison to um, Requiem for a Dream an interest an interesting comparison. Oh yeah, just a movie that's hard for rewatch. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's for damn sure. I still can't. I still can't even look at that DVD on my shelf, let alone think about putting <laughs> it in the DVD player. Get, Fuck that movie. Gonna get that one kid in here. Yeah. Oh, oh, finally. Yeah. Oh, now shit's about to get real, folks. Why is that? Cause Dustin Neal's in the house. Hey, hey. Can you hear me? <laughs> Hi, buddy. What's up? Not much. How are you? Good. I feel like I should I should listen to what you've got already to make sure you weren't talking shit about me. We That's wouldn't so do shit. that. Uh, so much need. shit. Don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dustin, John, John, Dustin. Hi. What's up, John? Yo. What are we talking about? Oh, what? you know, horror movies. You know. Oh, my Little good. Ponies. We were just talking about My Little Pony. That's oh, no. weird. We we're starting to wrap up talking about Jacob's Ladder. Have you ever seen it? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have to close the book quite yet. Um, well, I, uh, I mean, you guys have probably already said everything that needs to be said. But I, when when you said we were doing this um, this topic, and that was on the list, I got really excited because I'm like, yeah, I got an excuse to watch this because it's, it's I love it. I love the movie. And then I realized that I would be watching it by myself, and then if what? I asked anybody else to watch it, I'm not sure we would feel too great. Right. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like, And then I, I, I kind of psyched myself out of it, and I did not watch it. But I remember it. I've, I, I own it. I've only seen it once, but I remember it, remember it so vividly. So, I mean, it's, God, Tim Robbins at his best, right? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can, I can just see it now. You're like, hey, uh, I want to ruin your day. Come here, watch this movie with me. <laughs> Very true. Isn't it? So I, did, I didn't go through with it. and I, yeah. But like I said, I, I love the movie. I don't know how much you guys have revealed to the audience. I Not the end, because Not Terry the hasn't end. seen yeah, it. Yeah, Terry hasn't seen ah, it. Ah, okay. That's what I was getting ready to talk about, but I won't talk about it. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but no, I mean, it's... God, it's frightening, and it's, uh, I mean, I, I, like I said, you guys have probably already said everything cool about it, but. Not I mean, a ton, just because we're, we're, we were starting to have a hard time remembering stuff, because we all have the same experience of, like, we've watched it once, and it's impossible for us to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think we want to mislead our, our listeners, like, away from it. No. Don't want to get them hyped no. up for it either, because um, you know, it's an excellent film. 
and I love it to death, but I, I remember it from almost the front to back and not to give anything away. I mean, it's, it's just excellent. And I, mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to say, but I, cause now I feel like I can't say anything about it. Cause <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for Terry. Cause I, I would, I would be pissed if somebody ruined this movie. Oh for me. yeah, for sure. Okay. You know what? How about I, I need to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to just walk away from my computer for a few minutes. Okay. And you guys can discuss it. Do you pee for a long time or for a short time? Um, <laughs> just just talk about it. You're okay. Good. <laughs> but yeah, amazing, amazing movie. Let's not talk about it now and just enjoy <laughs> our Terry free time. Yeah, it's so good. Such I, a depressing, I mean, sad. Yeah. Totally, I totally agree. It's it's sad. It's got Macaulay Clunklin in it, and <laughs> it's uh, it. Tim, did I say Tim Meadows before? I meant to say Tim Roth. <laughs> you said Tim Roth. You said uh, Tim. But I'm glad you said that. Okay, uh, I didn't. I did not mean to. Well, if I said it wrong, I'm sorry, folks. But um, yeah, he's what he's in Vietnam, and he gets uh, he gets wounded. I won't say how bad the wound is but um we we get to see a whole uh, vietnam side a whole the whole new york gritty side i mean the movie starts out you know with the theme of our show new york uh, this the show pretty much starts out with him on the on the subway he's like a mail carrier and just he's he's plagued by uh awful dreams and flashbacks from when his time in Vietnam is it right? Is it was it Vietnam? Was it something like that? I yeah, so. it, was, it was Vietnam. It was some kind of some kind of war overseas. But he become he gets wounded, and he now he's trying to live the rest of his life. Uh, it seemed like he had uh, an excellent life with his his son Macaulay Clunklin, and he had a he had a good life. Am I saying am I saying uh, that right? Culkin. <laughs> But clunk, no, no, clunk no! Clunk. You're saying it right. Oh. <laughs> I'm giving you guys shit. Fucking, it's Fuckling. been a long day. Um, but uh, but he had this, uh, and his and his son has passed away, and that's not like a you know for people listening, that's not a uh, that's not a spoiler. You pretty much find that out uh, in the first first act, and um, you know he's 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 not well in the head, and he sees you know horrible images and. And things, and he can't determine what's real and you know what's not real. And it, it, him and his buddies from Vietnam that he's with also are, are experiencing the same type of images in their heads as well. And it gets into this whole crazy uh, yeah. Agent Orange type thing where I don't know if that's what they what it was, but it was the it was the latter, which was like a chemical. Am I am yeah. I remembering that right? I think so. That they were all exposed to, and it's why they're seeing these things, and and then you know you, you get invested in that, and then you just take this ride uh-huh. of just crazy scenes of him being rolled through a hospital, you know, just body parts on the floor, and uh-huh. and seeing people in the back of the seat and shaking their heads all crazy, and <laughs> it's, I don't know, it, like I, just remembering some of the the crazy shit. The one thing that freaked me out the most is when he's at that rave dance party and he's seeing his girlfriend dance on the dance floor and there's just some kind of like demon like violating her on the dance floor and 
and it's that's just, what I was remembering. It's, yeah, it's gruesome and it's 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 unsettling and it's frightening, but it's, who man, it's it's, it's so good. Ride, yeah, so good, and it's very. I I felt if I remember right, it's very visual. Um, and it yeah. still, in my brain, holds up. And I probably should have watched it again, but oh, I mean, maybe I will. I don't know. But I, like I said, I remember it pretty well. I don't know about you guys. It's been so long, I barely remember it. I remember, I remember the shaky heads guys. I remember the whole Vietnam thing. And then, I, for some reason, I remember um, that that uh, that that. Um, Kyle from Tenacious D played his neighbor. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you saying all that definitely brought it all back for me. Holy crap. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to go cry in the corner now. Yep, thanks, Liston. <laughs> I, I kind of feel dead inside. That's <laughs> just like a Thursday should be. Yeah. Makes you want to watch it. <laughs> all right. So cool. Um... We can move on. Yeah. So, Dustin, um, New York Films. We've talked about Maniac. We've talked about American Psycho. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. Did I miss anything that we've talked about? I think that's it. So what uh, What springs to your mind? Uh, the, the dirtiest, grittiest. Probably Ninja Turtles. Teenage no. Mutant. <laughs> That sewer's no, uh, filthy. That's uh, that's me stalling to try to think of something um, that was on the list. Go, Dustin, and, go, Dustin, go. Yeah. Vanilla rice. <laughs> right? What? Yeah. You're saying that right, You're right? saying everything awesome today. <laughs> well, while you're thinking, I just thought of one I kind of want to um, bring yeah. up. He's going to steal um, the one that you... Yeah. <laughs> well, you were talking about like in Jacob's Ladder, his girlfriend getting violated by a demon thing or something like that. And for some reason, a movie that, that by association pops into my head um, that's also a New York film, and that's Devil's Advocate. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I love that movie. I do too. I love Keanu. Keanu's I've seen it. I love Keanu too. I- I've always been a Keanu Reeves fan. I understand he doesn't always give the best performances, and that's okay. Yeah, that's the um, heart. That's the I heart. don't. I don't think that. I, I think he has totally surpassed his Bill and Ted days, and still don't get why people who do impersonations of Keanu Reeves still feel the need to do like Bill and Ted impersonations. Because Whatever. they're awesome. Well, they, it, Bill and Ted is awesome, and I hope they do that third movie. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> but. But he's done so much more stuff that he's he has he has surpassed his surfer dude image, and people could stop doing his surf, surfer dude dude impersonations. But I will say that his performance isn't necessarily up to par in Devil's Advocate, or it's not a bad performance. But he should never have tried doing a Southern accent. Yeah, he shouldn't saying. have tried that. <laughs> that was his downfall. Yeah. That was bad. I kind of feel like Dustin has an impression. <laughs> yeah, there's one there. It's uh, <laughs> the uh, it's because he does have that southern draw, but he is still Keanu underneath. Um, it's 
obviously, The Devil's Advocate, the movie, is based a lot around religion. And uh, he moves to New York uh, to become a big-time lawyer, and he just keeps going up higher and higher. And he's, I think he hasn't, like, lost a case, and, like, that's his claim to fame. And he goes to New York, and he's, you know, part of this, I guess, a firm. I don't really remember that much. Um, but he's, he's doing well. And his mom comes to visit, and she sees how, like, sinful he's gotten. And she's, like, super religious. And there's a part where she's obviously upset with him, and he's trying to leave for work. And she starts saying things for the from the Bible. And he's like, oh, mom, it's a little early for scripture. And it's just, it's, it's, like, yes. it's like from like one to ten. And I'm not even kidding. I don't exaggerate that line at all. Like from that film, that's how it is done. And it, it makes me laugh every time. But you still, you got to admire his heart. And that's what I love about him. So, and there's, man, this movie scared the shit out of me when I first saw it too. So, I don't know. The there's, some really creepy, there's some really creepy stuff in yeah. the film, absolutely. Especially with some of those, you know, rather Jacob Ladder-esque hallucination moments where his wife, um, who played his wife? It was, it was uh, Charlize. Charlize Theron again. Charlize yeah. Theron, yeah. 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 Um, so, if, 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 um, if for anything, see this movie because you get to see her naked in it. But that's uh, another topic. Um, but like that scene where she she's out shopping with uh, the other lawyers' wives and stuff, and there, yeah. there's all those all that weird like uh, demon imagery and stuff like that. Creepy as you know, it's some pretty creepy stuff. But uh, uh, Pacino is in top form in that movie. Oh yeah. What I love about the what I love about this movie is like the reveal. Now I'm, I'll say spoilers, but I think it's it's kind of bullshit to have to announce spoilers for this particular movie. But you know what? Um, Al Pacino is the devil. Okay. <laughs> so, but the, huh. but the that's the knowledge. That's the thing. <laughs> In this movie, when that moment happens, they treat it like it's this big reveal, like you just saw that moment in The Sixth Sense, you know? Uh, the movie's called The Devil's Advocate. What do you think is going to freaking... Who do you think he's going to be? They just thought, you know, well, maybe, you know. It'd be different. Anyway, I, yeah, that movie came to mind. I wanted to bring it up. It's it's fun. It's um, it's definitely a fun watch. It's pretty. It gets it's pretty hokey in some parts, but it also has some really cool moments too. Oh, like when um, oh god, what's his name? Jeffrey Jones. And he's jogging in the park and he gets attacked by all those bums. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the score. You know what really does it for me? The score in this movie. It's got some. It's got some really uh, creepy elements to the score that I think really enhances those moments. I don't really remember the score that much. And then just the whole descent of uh, of um, Charlene Theron's part character in the movie to the point where she's committed into a psycho ward. You know, that's that's the 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 coolest part of the whole movie. Just watching her character, her character's descent into madness. 
Yeah. I love that um, Al Pacino's character's name is John Milton, who is the writer of Paradise Lost. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, when he lets it go at the end, it's just fucking awesome. Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, he's really he good in this. Balls out. It's so great. All the all the picture all the paintings on the back wall of naked people rubbing up against each other and they come to life and they're all Harry Potter stole like, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard Harry Potter's character was kinda of based on Canary's character from Bill's yep. so. mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, loosely based. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I hopefully I stall up long enough for talking about Devil's Advocate to allow you, Dustin, a chance to think of a dirty or I guess it doesn't have to be even dirty New York film, but a, a New York film well i was looking at the list and maybe we can just talk about these together but uh two of my favorite movies of all time ghostbusters <laughs> and ghostbusters 2 yeah oh, that's weird i knew you were gonna say this <laughs> why well i mean really that should have been obvious but but yeah i mean ghostbusters and ghostbusters 2 so, Dustin, have you heard the latest rumor of the next Ghostbusters movie? Oh, You're my excited. God, stop it. <laughs> He's going to go off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Is there one? No, I just, I yeah, there no, always I just, is one. I just wanted to get you started. <laughs> I said my you. piece with that. <laughs> I know, it's still one of my favorite moments. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> these two... These two movies are made and they're finished. We can watch them anytime. <laughs> we can talk about them. Yeah, we can talk about them. Stuff happened in them. For I watched these recently. Well, I've always just watched them recently, but <laughs> it's, these are great to just have on in the background too. Right. Um, I mean, the the first one, you know, everyone says it's way better than the second one, but I think the second one kind of still holds up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, Thank you, know, you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever agrees with me. I oh. love the second one. Yeah. I mean, the second one I was more uh, alive for. I mean, I was alive <laughs> for the, for the <laughs> first one. But, like, I mean, when Ghostbusters 2 came out, I was coherent and, you know, upright. And You were potty trained I, by then, probably. <laughs> and I remember going to Hardee's and... Um, Hardy's had these noisemakers, and you can still look up the commercial on YouTube. It's great. It's instant nostalgia. But they had these little noisemakers, and they had a Ghostbuster symbol on them, and they were about the size of like a keychain that you know that unlocks your car. And you could push these little buttons, and they made your typical, you know, your generic sounds that you hear in like everything, you know, like the, you know, like that generic type thing. And I remember just wanting one so bad and we went to to hardy's and uh they had them and they showed them to me but they would not give them to me because there was a recall because their the battery door was incredibly easy to open and a baby had swallowed the batteries inside and so they recalled and he had the baby uh, man i was so close Baby's got to ruin it them. for everybody else. Yeah, what the hell? Don't eat the goddamn batteries, you dumbass. I mean, come on. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but the, I mean, Ghostbusters 2, I mean, there was, for me, 
Ghostbusters was all about the, the at the beginning the toys and and you know the proton packs and you know the suit and everything. It was for me at the early age. It was all about that. It wasn't until I grew older until I really started to appreciate the movies and appreciate them both. I think equally, um, you know, starring some of the greatest actors ever. I mean, come on. You know, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, um, Ernie, Hudson. Ernie Hudson, Rick, yeah, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Sigourney, um, Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, yeah, I mean, just some of the best people that could just ever be in a movie. It's amazing, and it's so sad that uh, Harold Ramis has since passed. We've already mentioned that on the show, but it's just, it's sad that he will not be involved if there is anything that's made in the future. But, I mean, you get these people together, and Bill Murray is just excellent. And you go back and you look and see what he did in that movie, and most of it is ad-libbed, which is just great. And that just tells you how good of you know an actor that he was and an improv, improvist, I guess you would say. And it's just, I, I mean, you can run them from front to back, and, and they're perfect for me. And they'll, they'll, they'll always be perfect, and people can talk shit about ghostbusters 2 all they want and bill murray can talk it down and i and really i think that's the biggest thing is because bill murray doesn't like it the fans don't have to like it and that's bullshit because it's it's good sorry i'm rambling no that's fine two is a great movie um no i did not just (laughs) um i heard something i didn't know you hear lots of things i was rambling nope no, I I really like two a lot too. I mean, I I still like the first one better, but yeah, I remember seeing two in the theater and and it, yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Can anybody think? I'm just thinking. I was just thinking about this while Dustin was talking, and I wasn't snoring. Um, can anybody think of another film franchise that has had so little films, but yet has caused such an explosion in, in other forms of media. I mean, it had like comic books and all kinds yeah. of toys Cartoon. and cartoons, video games, very successful cartoon series, video mm-hmm. games. There was a, a there's a there was a fruit punch um, drink, drink named after <laughs> it that la- outlasted the film franchise. Also, like they they. What was it? Just like maybe like ten years ago, they stopped making the Ecto Cooler. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was incredible how long that lasted. Yeah, crazy, right? I cannot think of another another franchise that has had so few films made and yet still had such a ginormous cult- cultural impact. Yeah, I, really I can't, I, I can't think, of think of anything. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. I don't. I don't wouldn't even. Wouldn't even know where to start. Nothing would come close. I mean, no. Two films and all it's done. There's nothing else. Yeah, no, and that's just crazy. And and even still, the majority of that like cultural impact was, is, is came out of the first film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it it, uh, it made such an impact just from the first film alone. Because the show, the cartoon show, was already long going before the second film came out, and you know they already had like the toy lines and all that stuff. And this was this is 
the pre-days of before everything was made into a toy line. So. Yeah, anyway, I just think I find that interesting. And people are still talking about it. Yeah. Still. Still talking about it. Okay. Does anybody have a favorite line from Ghostbusters? Yes. Okay. What is it? And there is one right answer. <laughs> Shh. Do you smell that? Yes, that's it. <laughs> Jason won the prize. Nope, nope, nope. It's what just popped in there, Ray? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just popped in there. Talking about the state. Ah, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you win. John, what was yours? Uh, I had a slinky once, but I straightened it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my that always and you know it's Harold, so of course it's awesome. Of course. Terry, uh, I suck at remembering quotes. This is the worst. I don't remember that one. Was that um, in two? You can you can say I've, that is one big Twinkie. That's okay. No, I oh I thought oh I like the guy that's in the elevator. That's like I'll take the next one. Nice. <laughs> The random guy. But I'm with Jason. That is that still makes me laugh every time I see that at the beginning of the movie when he's just like, shh, shh, you smell something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. And that was Dan Aykroyd who delivered that one. Improv, huh? I didn't know that it was mostly improv. For for Bill Murray, it was. Yeah. He didn't follow any of the lines he of the script. He could not be contained. He just, yeah. And I hear that's, you know, that's what he likes to do on all of his movies, and then some people won't have it, and that's why you hear sometimes that he's a dick. But really, you should just let him do what he wants to do. Yeah, if you've got that kind of talent. Now, I understand, and I've seen it in films, you know, uh, that sometimes sometimes you do got to rein him in a little bit, or, or you do run the risk of it kind of hurting the overall film. But, uh... But I, but I don't know. I mean, I guess yeah. Bill Murray hasn't really had one of those moments either, where he, where he has gone off the reservation that far to uh, to hamper the film. Yeah, well, this is that's it. Those two movies were kind of like his playground, and he just mm-hmm. had lots of lots of fun. For sure, good picks now. Are they horror films? Oh, I would definitely say so. That's right. Good answer. They, <laughs> the right answer. <laughs> I can I, I can accept saying horror comedy or even comedy horror as long as that word horror is in there. I mean, it's um, about ghosts. It's about um, ghosts, and there's so a thriller. Li- God damn it! <laughs> if it's about ghosts, <laughs> I will come down to that basement. <laughs> Ugh. Horror movie. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, sometimes. There's act, but, but <laughs> anyway, but in the first one, especially, there's some legitimately um, scary moments in that movie. I still have yet to show that movie to my son, as much as I want him to see this movie, but I know it's going to terrify him. Yeah, the first thing is the librarian, and that always scared me as a kid mm-hmm. when I would mm-hmm. watch it, and it was so. I mean, it's just, it's frightening, and that's that's the first, you know, I think it's like, it goes right into like a credit sequence maybe after that, or, I mean, because it goes pretty much right into the movie, and what's so crazy, 
is that if you play the game, the new game on the uh, PlayStation Two or Xbox or whatever, uh, that's one of the um, one of the people that you you fight, and you go into the library, and she's moving shelves and things, and it's like it really brings it back. Like that's a scary character, and to be at the beginning of a movie for a young kid, that can be yeah, that I, it can be scary. It's a scary movie. Mm-hmm. It def- yeah, it's definitely got those moments. Like I always thought the scene where um, where the hands pop out and grab Sigourney Weaver's arms and boobs, I found that to be yeah. extremely erotic. I mean, and scary. Uh, scary. Scary. <laughs> um, you know that that one that moment always made me jump. So it's got some legitimate and but it, what it does it does a really good job of creating the atmosphere and taking those moments seriously. And that, to me, is always the key of a good blend of horror with comedy because it's those idiots that are funny, not the ghosts and, you know, not the yeah. shenanigans of the ghosts. Probably the closest thing to that would probably be Slimer. Yeah. Um, but even still, I don't really see, at least in the first film anyway, the stuff he's doing is being played for laughs. It's all their reactions that get the, that get the, that get the laughs. That's another uh, interesting thing is is Slimer, who is like one of the big cornerstones of the I wouldn't say both films, and how much screen time does he really have? Honestly, no more, no more than the librarian or um, or half of the other ghosts in that first movie. Really, he's just another. He's just another ghost in that movie. He just so happens to be the ghost. The first ghost to get busted by the Ghostbusters, and I don't know if that, or if that he's kind of a cute, lovable gross creature. Well, the ghost I, I think of John Belushi. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all because of the the cartoon shows. Why everybody remembers Slimer so well? Like, yeah, he was yeah. you know a cool ghost in the in the first movie, but really, I mean the like on the Ecto Cooler, it's the cartoon version of Slimer that's on the mm-hmm. packaging. It's all about that version of him. And, you know, it's been ingrained in our brains for so long. He's just, Slimer is just an amazing character that really only existed in the cartoon. And they could have pulled any ghost from yeah. the first movie. I mean, there was a lot, they could have been the, you know, they could have had a friendly other ghost that was in the movie. I mean, they could have had Stay Puft shrunk down or something, you know, they could have incorporated that. But the, to choose that one and then to have that one just be so huge, and then they have a chance to make a sequel and then he's in it for maybe the same amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's not their buddy and he's not a good guy. He's just there eating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Driving a bus. Man, I used to love that cartoon and I recently got one of the 10 sets for it as well. Hell yeah. And it actually still holds up, I think. You know, yeah, you see I, a I, lot of those cartoons from when we were kids and you're just like, oh my God, they were. The writers on this were writing to us like we were idiots, but it still actually holds up. It's still funny in a lot of spots, and still kind of, kind of holds a little bit of the, uh, the charm of what those movies did. Isn't Egon blonde on the cartoon? That's, that's a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they it's had some fun. licensing issues. They had to change a few things, and they had to call it the real Ghostbusters. Well, mm. that's that's because there was another cartoon that dated back. Oh, to- you're right. You're exactly right. To like the 60s or 70s 
that that had the copyright on on Ghostbusters, so that's why they called it the real Ghostbusters. You're right. Yep. So mm-hmm. that was yeah. I didn't even have to do with the uh, the movie licensing. Um, yeah, just it's cool though that the the cartoon I think still kind of still kind of holds up, and I'm pretty sure I I shared this these fun facts before already, but the um, I think it was the the voice of Ray in the cartoon. Um, was done by two different people, and I'm trying to remember the f- the first person to do Ray's voice. I can't remember the actor's name, the voice actor's name, but he used to also be the voice of Garfield through the '80s and the '90s. Oh, yep. Frank Welker. Was that I don't know his name? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Also, Starscream, Megatron. Oh, really? Yep. Transformers. Really? That is yeah. a that is That's a, a range. Jump, right? No shit from Garfield and Thomas. And like then Cobra this. Commander, same. Then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew Starscream Cobra <laughs> Commander was the same. Those voices are very similar. Yep. I didn't realize the same oh, dude who did Garfield. Holy cow. And but when he does Ray's voice in Ghostbusters, it sounds just like Garfield. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Straight yeah. Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they make the Garfield movies who does the voice for Garfield in the movies? Bill Murray. Weird. So yeah. weird. That is very weird. I always thought that was weird. <laughs> I enjoyed that he makes fun of that fact in Zombieland. Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. <laughs> regrets? Uh, Garfield, maybe. Yeah, it's just a maybe, though. Yeah. He yeah. should have said larger than life. One oh. the elephant. Uh. Oh yeah, that one was bad. Have I told Have I told you about how in the middle of that movie it's got Janine Garofalo in it as well, and how the filmmakers or the editors or maybe both were so lazy that there is a moment because it was supposed to be it's supposed to be a kids film, right? There's a moment when Janine Garofalo says a curse word and they just, and the actual theatrical release this isn't a TV version or anything, they bleep it out. Yeah. Yeah. In the movie. Anyway. So anyway. Um, larger in life. Okay. Yeah, we've kind of went off the rails here. A little bit. <laughs> I, want, I want to talk about a trend that happens concerning New- films in New York, especially when it comes to a franchise. It's happened a lot in other genres besides horror, but horror has definitely had those moments where where you have a franchise and the protagonists are so big are so big and powerful that what else can they face but New York itself. So, I'd like to get into a little bit right now on like franchises that felt the need to take their movies to New York, aka <laughs> Gremlins 2: The New Batch. And Friday Thirteenth Part Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like them both. I like them both. Me too. Oh, what? You rip on Manhattan so oh, yeah. fucking Manhattan's much. not a good movie. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. it's, so, it's so not a good movie. Guys, it's awesome. <laughs> How uh, does the boat get from Crystal oh, Lake to the port? Who gives of a the fuck ocean? about that? <laughs> Jesus. It's a movie. Oh yeah. 
that you need that answered, but you won't fill in the blank. Nine hundred other movie fucking just questions. because Jason comes out of the water doesn't mean that that's the lake. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> He's what? just getting on the boat. How is he supposed to get on the boat? Walk up the ramp? Yeah. What are you talking? The ocean? The the uh, cruise ship? Yeah. Why 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 do you think that that's in okay. the lake? There's no the cruise ship's not in the lake. The cruise ship's in the ocean. The boat that he killed the couple in in the beginning of the movie. Right. Right. That is that is on Crystal Lake. Sure. You're, you're right. Yeah. Why is what's that got to do with anything? Yeah. A lake does not connect to the ocean. Right. Who said he? Who you're said right. That was, they were connected. Because you see the boat. You see the boat in the ocean. <laughs> you do. That, you do. That you boat. Do. Because they're wondering why it's floating there. Yeah, they even comment on it. <laughs> thought you had them, Dustin. I thought I did too. No, trust me, I've dissected this movie a thousand times. A thousand times. And I have one thing I've learned as a director, if you if your main actor in your movie says that they can um they can throw up on they can throw up water on film, doesn't mean you have to shoot it. <laughs> What? <laughs> you know at the end of the movie when when Jason is in Jason gets his mask ripped off and he's in the sewer and it's about ready to get flooded with toxic waste. Yeah. And space looks like a Nerf football helmet with teeth. <laughs> and and the toxic waste comes flooding in. He he turns and has this has this look of fear on his face, as much look as you can have on a shitty prosthetic face, I guess. And all this water comes vomiting out of its mouth out of Jason's mouth, that was actually Kane Hodder physically throwing up water on camera because he told the director that he could do it and would do it for the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and if Jason goes to freaking New York, this is a guy that if you walk on two legs and are a human being, he will kill you on sight. There has never been anybody with the exception of maybe small children in part six, that he has ever, ever um, crossed paths with that he didn't kill. And yet he lets all of New York live just to continue to chase down the two people that he's been chasing through the whole movie. For what reason? Why in the hell is he chasing these two people down through the whole freaking movie? He's just, you know, he's crazy, man. He's, he's got the radar on. He knows where they are. He can get to them. And how old is the lead actress in this movie? She's, she's graduated. Gotta, she's got to be at least eighty years old. <laughs> because uh. when because when her asshole uncle throws her into the lake as a young child, young Jason Voorhees grabs her by the leg and pulls her under. Jason drowned in what nineteen nineteen fifty six was it? According to part one. Wait, is she, is she is she really being pulled down by Jason there? Is she just thinking that? She just I've always I've always I've always honestly rationalized it by like it's just her imagination stuff yeah. and that's that's how I can also not totally freak out about the ending cuz I still say that I, I love listening to other podcasts to try to explain the ending of this movie. Or just horror fans in general trying to explain the ending of this movie, unlike when they see and, him as a boy at the end. And toxic yeah, waste turns fuck? him into a small boy. What the hell? 
No, I claim it to be that that is what she is saying. Uh, yeah, that's what I always thought, too. Yeah. Because, because we all know, when Jason drowned as a boy, he didn't have hair. <laughs> right, Jason? How does that not make you mad? Why, you know, like, why do you get so hung up on this little thing? There's this movie. But... <laughs> Uh, but Tele- any how we can teleport from one location to the that's other. what I was just getting ready to say his teleportation <laughs> in this movie is on point I mean he is <laughs> it's working it you know and I remember seeing this movie in the theater and that was that was one of the things that made me mad at the time when I saw it in the theater is how he just especially when he's in New York how he can literally be Throwing somebody out of the, out of a window and then be on the ground in the next shot, <laughs> um, and it really made me mad because like I used to have to defend this franchise in my in my teenage years all the time because the biggest complaint that people the biggest thing that people made fun of with this franchise is well you know how come how come everybody runs away from Jason he could just walk and still catch up with him that's stupid. And I would always be like, "Well, it's, he's lived in these woods. He knows, he knows how to get around these woods better than they than they do. It's dark. They can't see where they're going. Half the time, they're either drunk or on drugs. They're tripping and falling. They don't. They're also frantic and panicked. So, but he's calm and cool and collective, and he can maneuver around in these trees, take a shortcut, catch up to these people, and slaughter them. I can't use that same excuse in a territory he's never been in before." Well, how do we know that? <laughs> just, just, just throw that out there. Jason on vacation. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that? Have you seen the sweet replica from this movie that they just yeah. put out? like the the porthole with him reaching through it? Oh no! Uh-uh. Like as a wall hanging. It's oh, awesome. Cool. It was a hefty price, though. I mean, it was yeah. life size. It looked. It looked pretty dang close, at least. Yeah, it looked like he was really coming through the window and yeah. trying to. Yeah. Get no, that'd be ba. Oh yeah. Oh man. I'm uh I'm reading Kane Hodder's book right now, and I'm about halfway through it. Just a little note because Kane Hodder stars in this film as Jason. Mm-hmm. And it, I haven't got to the part where he's been in these movies, but man, holy cow, he has lived a fucked up life. Like, it is a really good read if anybody has the time or <laughs> is really interested in Kane Otter. He lets it all out, so it's it's really good. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I've kind of always wanted to read it. I figure we can just make Terry read it and she could do it as a segment for the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gotten you out of so happens. many books so far. It is, it's awesome. I love wicked words. Anyway, uh, um, and all all joking aside, Friday Thirteenth is my favorite horror franchise, and each single one of them has a special place in my heart. Just there's there's some of them I like less than others. Um, but we but we can all agree that Jason. Manhattan is better than Jason goes. Oh, hands down. What? No, I don't know. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. You are the big, the the biggest uh, fan. Defender. 
Defender. <laughs> I've already said my piece on that several times. <laughs> and I I disagree. Alright, fair enough. Fair enough. Do you disagree? I just wish that you know, I mean, it's it's one thing that it takes most of the movie to finally get to Manhattan. And and that's fine. That's neither here nor there. I just would would have loved to see Jason on overload. Like can't even can't even process being around this many people, and just watch him cut loose. I mean, this that moment in Times Square should have looked like the scene in um, American Werewolf in London, where the werewolf is running through the streets, where just cars are crashing, bodies are flying, heads are rolling. Yeah, that would be awesome. It would have been freaking amazing. But the only thing we get is, like, he kicks a boombox and and shows his true face to a bunch of punks. I get yeah, it? It's New York. It's, what? But it's New York. Crazy shit happens on the street every day. Nobody get it? It's a... They're... Tell, <laughs> telling you about New York. I should t- talk. <laughs> oh. But what's what? really uh, bogus about it is if you watch the beginning of the film and the end of the film, uh, there's a narrate, narrator talking about New York at the very beginning, which gets kind of psyched up for New York. And then those are the same exact shots that we run into when they get to New York. Like the the beginning shots, there's no time frame really. It's it's it, it's bizarre because it starts out and it, you see those punks that he kicks the 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 boombox, yeah. and, and then like in the beginning of the movie, and then that's who he runs into at the end of the movie. So you kind of feel like cheated, like they only had like a certain amount of time to shoot uh, on the streets of New York and just got what they needed and reused it. I remember in my younger years seeing a movie like this and seeing New York depicted in this way. And thinking this this is what it's actually got got to be like, but watching the movie nowadays, I can't imagine any punks would kidnap a girl <laughs> just to force their drugs on her. Well, I mean, I think- if it's if it if it's to get her stoned so they can rape her, and that's yeah. one thing. But they're not going to waste their good drugs on on this <laughs> chick. They're just going to rape her. Well, it could have been the secondhand drugs. You never know. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, being stalked by Jason is the least of her worries because now she has AIDS. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And there's, like, toxic waste or whatever just, like, yeah. sitting in the alleyway. That's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's New how, York. Back then. Oh, and yeah. it floods the sewers, too. Like, every day at four. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go in the sewers because toxic waste comes and floods the shit out that turns grown men into babies. No! <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, New York. Oh, what is that majestic voice we hear? Justin Beam has joined us, everybody. Uh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> How you doing there, buddy? Pretty good. Welcome I like the, the beginning. Of, I like that that Jason Manhattan is deceptive in a way because it th- there's only so much that they could have done in Manhattan. And it's just like Jason said. I've always thought of it as him being 
he shows up and he just sort of blends in there. That's the whole idea behind his that whole Times Square sequence is that big deal. It's this guy. He's looks like every other freak in the street. And so I don't I don't I don't know that that wouldn't have gotten old pretty quickly. And what they did with it was cool. I mean, it became more like a background, and that's one of the things in New York that a lot of the times, in most movies, it just becomes background. Like, it's, it's buildings you recognize, or it's like the rooftop of the Chrysler building or whatever, or, you know, Empire State Building. And, and, but in this, I like, you know, the sequence on top of the building where he's boxing that kid. <laughs> yeah. One of the <laughs> coolest one of the things. Parts. Yeah. yeah, totally, yeah. But but oh, that's Mike not. Hates that part so bad. But it's not in front of mm. like the World Trade Center or something. I mean, it's just in. It, it's in a recognizably sort of New Yorky kind of building area, and I love that. I like that they just exist in New York for a while, and so it's not a real showy approach to how they use the city. It didn't really exploit it, I guess, which I appreciated. Didn't they have trouble even shooting there because? Uh, you know, Friday Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street were so hot at that time. Oh, they yeah. had to, they had to like change the the production name of it. Uh, you know, because people, you know, they were they were doing it in New York, and if people would have saw uh, Friday the Thirteenth was being filmed, they would have had crowds and would have to deal with that. And and you know, maybe they did it on these you know these areas that weren't you know heavily trafficked, and to get away from some of that to. They'll make their movie and not have to be, you know, fucking bothered the whole entire time. Well, Kane talks about that when he walked out into Times Square as being one of the, his favorite moments in life. And I did a panel with him in, um, up at Rock and Shock once, and he told the story about how he walked out, and he's like, I felt like Elvis, because he <laughs> walks out. You know, they had him under a under a, like a big tarp or something, and they unveil him just to walk out and shoot the scenes. He walks in the middle of the street. And he said people were going nuts, and he'd turn over and look at him and like just stare, lift his mask, <laughs> and freak him out. And people were screaming and going nuts and wanting autographs. And it was—it's got to have just been crazy shooting up there and trying to do this in Times Square, which is completely uncontrollable. You can't stop crowds there. You can't yeah. stop from being in your shit. And then to have a whole film crew there in the middle of the street, and he said they had to shoot in like five-minute increments or something. It was crazy. So cool. <laughs> I like that movie. Damn it. I, I watched that movie probably third most in the entire series. Whoa. I think it's great. Like we yeah. talked about it earlier. It's not like, okay, it's not a good movie, but it's fun as hell to watch. I think so. Like it's, it's, it's one of those ones that you can just put on. And we watched it uh, the last Friday the 13th movie night. Yeah. And I remember just people's, you know, it almost turned into like a, a, a troll two type moment. Because Jason is, is appearing, you know, out of thin air. And, and people who are there that don't normally watch horror movies, and they're just like, what the fuck? What is this? Why? Why is it? How can he just show up? How can the guy climb the fucking pole on the boat, and Jason's nowhere near, and then all of a sudden he's grabbing his leg? Like, <laughs> like, like that stuff is, is – that, that's what makes this movie, to me, so much fun to watch. Obviously, if I was making a Jason movie, I wouldn't do that type of shit. But that's the kind of stuff that I love to see, and I'm glad they 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 did that in there because it's just fun to watch. And that's the point. Yeah. And I know, but and people are. I don't understand why people are so hung up on. Oh, it's not enough in 
Manhattan, but like you get all the rest of these cool elements in the story. And it's varied. It's diverse. It's one of the most diverse films in terms of setting in the entire franchise, if not yeah. the most. And so you're seeing him in all these different elements. It's one of the things that I like about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is that whole dream sequence at the beginning. Yeah, Michael in a hospital. Ah, but also Michael outside in the rain. And that mm -hmm. sounds like a simple thing. But how cool is it to see Jason on, you know, I mean, just on all these different places that you've never seen him before. It pulls him out of his element and puts him somewhere new. And, it's almost, and there's this weird thing when he first is when he's walking through New York. There's even a little bit of like empathy, like, God, I hope no one messes with him. Like, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't have any friends there. He doesn't know what he's like. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I like that movie. Yeah. And they couldn't have called it Jason on a Boat. I mean, that doesn't sell as many tickets as Jason Takes My Hand. Yeah, that's very true. Even though it's really Jason on a Boat from the list. That's okay. Yeah. Most of these movies aren't on Friday the 13th, so that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. That's the day after. The day, day, the day after the day after. Oh, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What day is this? What's Jason's motivation? Is it family? <laughs> is it... Mike, how would you, as a super fan, how would you explain Jason's motivation? He would love to tell you that when he gets oh. back. <laughs> Damn, if this is a... <laughs> <laughs> if only he was the host of the show. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Glad think, I'm glad the ship is tightened up here since I left. Oh. Oh. Had to get Simon to bed. Dustin's I used a to super fan. Yeah. Dustin, what do you think? What's that question? What do you think is Jason's motivation? Well, that could be, that could be different from throughout the series. I mean, his, when he's human, I think his his motivation is is to kill all camp counselors, and then when he's brought back to life through, you know, electricity and he's zombified, I think it's just like just pure rage. Anything that comes in his way, because he seems like he's more violent after he's been resurrected than he was before when he was human. So, I mean, I guess it, revenge as a human and just rage. As a zombie, mm. would be what what I would think would be his motivations. If why does he stay outside of Jason Takes Manhattan, and Part Two, strangely, where he travels to who knows where in New York, and tracks her down and stabs her in the head, then goes back to camp. Uh, Jason doesn't really travel too much. <laughs> it's one of the weird things about it that he always kind of stays local. Like yeah, I'm gonna kill, but I'm only putting so much effort into this shit. So I'm I'm gonna hang around about a five mile radius. <laughs> My, my moped is bad on gas or whatever he's riding around. <laughs> I've always wondered that about Jason. Because he was a mongol. He wasn't a smart boy. He was, yeah, you know, a special boy. And he don't know, didn't know too many things. I don't know. Maybe that's. <laughs> well, it, well, especially with this movie, his motivation is kind of up in the air. Because at this point, he is zombie Jason. And he does kill those people at Camp Crystal Lake and uh, who knows how the fuck he got to that boat and uh, Camp <laughs> Crystal Lake is connected to an ocean, whatever there, it doesn't matter. But like the motivation, well, I mean, what's his motivation there? Is it, is it because he knows that girl? Did she really fall in the lake after her uncle pushed him there? Was he really dragging on her ankle? I mean, 
what's his motivation to get on this boat and just kill everybody? I mean, it's 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 up in the air. It's all and, sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> this movie is is probably the one of the most the more sketchy sketchy ones. So yeah, <laughs> I see. I thought of him as sort of a creature from the Black Lagoon type thing, where he had people coming into his territory and he just didn't want them there. Yeah, yeah. and so he's yeah. like, ah, get out. Okay, you're not going to leave. Well, then okay. Then he deals with them. And that's that was my interpretation of this sort of original cycle of Jason. I guess you'd say the human Jason stuff. But then after that, it really did become. It it. I mean, it 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 became anyone in the area, and strangely focused on certain things like the asylum. You know, which I love that. I guess that wasn't Jason. I shouldn't say it's when it's the ambulance driver. But, um. Yeah, hey, I don't know. Jason Camp and New York, and I like. But anyway, back to the New York thing. I think that this film fits in with the filthy New York films. It's kind of like the last. It's it's the glossier version of. I don't know what other films you guys have talked about yet, but a lot of the dirty New York movies. I think yeah. that this is a bit of a cleaner version of one of those because it presents New York in the same way, and it revels in the seediness of New York. It likes the alleys and the filth and the creeps and the drug addicts and all that stuff. That's what it's showing you. It's not showing you classy New York or Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we move on? Yeah. Well, you know, Mike said he liked this topic because there was a franchise moving their film to New York. He mentioned Gremlins 2 in the new batch. Yeah. Has everybody seen it? I've seen yeah. it. I, I love it. I have. I, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Probably more comedy Yeah. than the first one. Even though the first one's pretty funny in some parts, but this one is... I think this one completely relies on the comedy. I mean, you got the, the Mogwais that are like their own unique... Uh, sell yeah like there's all kind of characters of, of the Mogwais that are goofy and weird looking and I don't know this one's like the skyscraper one right like they all yeah. they get relocated ultra high tech yeah yeah, the building is all crazy because it's it it like runs by itself. <laughs> I saw it once. I saw it in the theater with my brother, and I remember that we were the only people in the theater for it. I don't know if it was a second run, third run, whatever it was. I just remember seeing it in the theater, and us being the only ones in there, and him running around and not really paying too much attention to the movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what you remember. That's what I remember. Mostly Mitch running around in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised with because we talked earlier about Ghostbusters and how big of an impact it had on toys and you know books and cartoons. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And and I felt like Gremlins one and two could have very well been the the same the same way. But I really don't remember having a lot of toys or, 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 you know, Gremlins related type stuff like glasses and stuff like that. Like, it just seemed like this movie didn't get that attention, 
And I think it could have been just as big, if not bigger, if they would have done something like that because obviously the Mogwais look like dolls, I mean, already. I mean, they look like Furbies. So, I mean, they could have, <laughs> they could have, been, they could have been sold and distributed everywhere and, and they would have been a, a crazy hot thing. And maybe they were. Maybe I just don't remember it. They were, yeah. And I can okay. tell you that they had... There was a pretty big marketing blitz with it, they, and they had tie-ins with Hardy's Restaurant. They had a series of glasses there, and then they also had some books with records Record in them, books. and I, I, yeah, I have all those. I yes, those. I remember those. Yeah, I have the whole set. And my, and my oh. brother had a stuffed mogwai, and when you shook him, it made like a, like a giggling kind of noise. I don't know how to describe it. But, Try it. Um, I, <laughs> beer, ear, ear. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Which I which I don't remember at all from any of the from either of the films, so I have no idea what that was based off. But anyway, he loved that thing, and I remember there were little figures, like the remember the Smurf size figures and the California raisins. Yes. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall there being Gremlins as well. Oh. Ooh. Those little guys, because that was like the thing at the time were those things, that size toy. But outside of that, I don't I don't remember a whole lot. Ghostbusters obviously had tons. Yeah, and still do. And that's what's crazy about that. Yeah. Like we posed a question earlier, Justin, about is there any other film franchise similar to Ghostbusters that just had, you know, two films, but that had as much of a big impact on, you know, all of those things like toys and, you know, Happy Meals and stuff like that? Was there ever another film franchise that was like that? to only have two movies and be as big as it did with that type of stuff. Hmm. We couldn't think of anything. So <laughs> So there isn't. So there isn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's weird now because a lot of the, the companies that are making toys, because uh, toys are an adult market now. It's no yeah. longer for kids. I mean, there's kid toys, but, you know, cinema stuff is mostly relegated for adults and so much of it is looking back it's not so much now it's not like there was a huge rash of like Prometheus toys yeah yeah. Uh-huh. Be, I'm sure it would be as exciting as the movie or there uh-huh. weren't aha it, but, <laughs> but it, so everything is looking back like it's oh we, let's make we, we never had this as a kid so now that we're adults and now that we're in control of the industry let's make the shit that we never had that yeah. we always wanted. So, oh, of course, now there's going to be Christine Diecast cars. And now there's going to be whatever. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but it's also odd that everything is so retro-focused with this stuff. Maybe, maybe there's contemporary things, too, and I just don't know. I'm sure that, like, Hot Toys and NECA are probably doing plenty that I'm not paying attention to. But, yeah. Yeah. So Gremlins too, too, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The new Snatch. <laughs> what? What? Uh, I think you watched the wrong Gremlins movie. Well, what did I say? Uh, I think you saw the Triple X parody. <laughs> oh, God. I really hope that there's not a. a <laughs> there, there room. probably is. Oh. <laughs> Just, There's gotta just be. Don't think about it. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I think we talked about in the past with with 
oh man, with Gremlins, um, about how how it strays how it strays from the first film as far as being more of a satire and a parody of the first film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also find I I was thinking about this the the one scene in particular of this movie, but it happens a couple times throughout the movie where like this movie really unlike the first because the first film takes place with in its universe. But the second film goes beyond that universe and then breaks the fourth wall, like demolishes the fourth wall. And there's that that scene where it looks like the film breaks and the gremlins are making shadow puppets. And then it cuts to the lobby of the theater and Hulk Hogan is yelling at the gremlins and then talks to the audience about how it won't happen again. It's just so such a bizarre move to go that route to go so be so beyond the fourth wall it's a family film it's for kids sure I get that I got a question the first film being really being for kids but (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but just like with Jason Goes to Hell Gremlins 2 makes promises of being in New York and they're just in a freaking building the whole episode, the whole movie. They're in New York, sure. But you think, oh, Gremlins in New York, it's going to be chaos in the streets. There's no way you're going to stop these Gremlins. How is this going to turn out? They're just in this building the whole time. There's some street stuff or sidewalk scenes. Yeah, there there is a little bit outside, but it, I, I you don't get any like, I mean the movie isn't like Gremlins Two Take Manhattan. I mean it's not like the Friday Thirteenth one. It's just you know the new batch. There's no promises like hey this shit's gonna go down in New York. Gremlins are New York. You're only well, promised a batch. And a batch you get, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) That's true, but I think I remember, if I remember right back in the day, reading about the movie coming out and just talking about how it's taking place in New York and it just, uh, it just opened up the imagination to possibilities of of gremlins in New York. Because in the first film, they ravaged that town, that little. A little tiny, tiny mm-hmm. town, and there's chaos everywhere in the streets, uh, in the bar, in the hardware store, in the movie movie theater. There's gremlins everywhere and just destroying and, everything. And there, and and this building is probably about the same size as that town, and they're wreaking havoc on it too. Yeah. So you wanted more New York out of it? Yeah, uh, I just I. I was, I was under the impression back when the back when the movie was being talked about that that's the direction it was going to go. Yeah. I still like the movie. Don't get me wrong. I still still think it's awesome. And there's some there's some really cool things. There's some there's some corny things. There's some there's a lot of inside jokes and a lot of jokes at the expense of the film, but. Which I I still don't mind. I still like because I like satire and I like parody. But then there's some badass things too, like when um, when they all start 
taken the different potions to turn themselves into different mutated gremlins and how the leader the the spike leader gremlin takes that spider potion yeah that that thing was cool and kind of creepy and i love how like you know jason mentions that this is a family movie but in the scene where gizmo's fighting the the spider gremlin slayer is playing as the music score (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think they're playing uh, Rambo stuff too when he's getting like psyched up, <laughs> getting his paper clip bow and arrow. <laughs> oh man, I have really nasty hiccups right now, guys. I apologize. Well, we should talk about something scary then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So Justin, since you have recently joined us, um, and I know this is a this, oh, dang it, sorry, this is a topic that's uh, definitely dear to your heart. I was excited to have you on this episode because I know you and I have talked about dirty New York films um, quite a bit. What um, New York film springs to your mind? Um, Basket Case. Mm-hmm. Have you talked about Basket nice. Case yet? No. Nope. No, we haven't, and that's a damn shame. Awesome, good pick. Yeah, that what's film is... Yeah, what's in the basket? It's a crazy film for so many reasons, but the tenement, like the building in it with Beverly Bonner and all the rest of these crazy, filthy characters is so horrible. And I love that he still he exists in this... He seems like a pretty happy guy despite his surroundings. Oh, yeah. Which I like. But everything is filthy. Everything is so dirty and filthy, and, and it seems like it should be terrifying. And I think that's part of the appeal of these kinds of movies like this and Alice, Sweet Alice, and Maniac, and all the other films that present New York that really show that revel on this side of it and this era. The 70s, like the 60s, 70s, into the early 80s, really grimy New York, is that there's an element of danger that exists there, but people are still existing in it. People still go about their lives, and they choose to go into this space. It's kind of anti-horror in a way. It's, it's, it works against convention, because in horror, the, you try to avoid the scary places, and if you go there, you're forced to, or you're trying to save somebody, or whatever, but, or you just end up stuck somewhere but in in this new york, new york is as terrifying as whatever is happening in it like in new york ripper you're seeing the streets and these dirty porno clubs and sex clubs and all this shit and you're like oh my god just i it, it, you want to take a bath just watching these movies and yeah. that's for real and basket cases that way it's like how could you live in this how could you exist in it let alone walk down the sidewalk through it but you're choosing to subject yourself to it it's such a weird, opposite, counterintuitive thing that you normally wouldn't do. So anyway, it adds this extra element of danger and of darkness to the proceedings in whatever film you're talking about. Because it's a character unto itself. The city is a character. In so many films, like I was saying when you were gone, Mike, a lot of movies use New York landmarks or they use whatever that people really recognize. And it's just meant to be remind you, oh yeah, you're in New York. But these don't do that. They allow New York to be this creature that it was. And it was scary. 
and it took a lot of effort and millions and millions and millions of dollars and you know leveling entire neighborhoods just about to clean the place up and they finally did but it was only because it was this legit it was the Jason Voorhees of cities it was just this monolith terrifying thing I really like that yeah yeah me me too and you bring up a great point about it about treating New York as a character because because uh, especially these down and dirty gringy ones they really do from like from like the locations that they choose um, the way the way they chose to light it and just really make it look gross and disgusting but not only that but like um, all the background characters that are going on going on as well basket case is a great example of all of that um, down to like you know you mentioned Beverly Bonner playing the prostitute that that um, Dwayne be, uh, becomes friends with mm-hmm. or or the creepy guy that breaks into Dwayne's room to steal all of his money down to the the scuzzy um, hotel manager oh yeah with his filthy shirt and- yep mm-hmm. yeah just all these like gross and disgusting and and you know perverse and and twisted um, um, B characters that are that are going going on in the surroundings of of of, uh, of this film, and yet what's in the basket is even more weirder and fucked up than um, than gr- gross gritty New York. Yeah, but ultimately okay in that environment, like because even when things start going crazy with him. People aren't really that. I don't know. Not not everyone is super shocked by it. Yeah. Like the the doctors are shocked when you know when he comes out. The the people who are being attacked by him when it's happening, it's like a thing. But to see a dude walking around with his basket or you know the idea that he's feeding, it's it's not out of place necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. That's true. But I just I, I think also with those. With those surroundings, though, especially when you get those shots of Belial, kind of, kind of going around the ho- going around that little one room hotel room that that him and Dwayne Dwayne have, it just makes, you know, even though it's like you know shitty stop motion, it's not the greatest effects in the world, almost laughable to a degree, but it it makes all of that for me a lot creepier, because um because. Because of the budgetary restraints and the and the bad effects and whatnot, but the fact that it's it's set in this like gross and gritty little hotel room with the with the neon red light flashing through the window and all of right. that, and this movie is um, with gross New York is awesomely bookend with Frank Henlotter's other film, Brain Damage. Oh yeah. With uh, being equally when um, when Brian is going down the going down the um, the dark road of the the uh, the drug addiction of Elmer's juice, mm-hmm. and they t- then they get that hotel room in that sleazy little hotel with the communal shower and all oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, just utterly disgusting, utterly disgusting environment. Just everything. You know, all the actors are gross and sweaty. The walls look like they've been sweating. It's just all nasty. It's such a great, distinct thing, though, that cities now, when you travel, you realize that the world, when people say the world is getting smaller, that's not just referring to technology. It's also referring to 
the landscape changing and it's becoming every, everything's vanilla like you mo a lot of cities look the same they feel the same towns it's the same chain restaurants the same stores the same types of strip malls and whatever it might be cities with true character like the character elements of them are being reduced and sort of captive like you have the Sears Tower or whatever it's called now in Chicago like that's there you have the river there those two elements are there but old like terrifying Chicago is kind of gone too and in New York it's 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 a big city but it's really cleaned up and New York has its own vibe it's a city that's alive if you go out uh, you know you leave I remember being there and not being able to sleep and in the middle of the night going out for a walk around just around downtown and the city just hums under your feet it's such a unique thing so there's always going to be a new york thing but this time and era and that read that era that 42nd street region was so unique and it made such a colorful environment for these characters and everything to exist in it's just too bad that there aren't more places like that because it it made it made it special. It was more than just buildings. It's more than just architecture. Architecture is something intentional. This sleaze, this filth, this grime, and the way that this devolved into this cesspool, that's just the result of a lot of bad things and a lot of accidents and a lot of shit. And so it, it, it it's of a different origin and is unique in a way that would be basically impossible to manufacture. And I miss that. I miss that. Yeah, for sure. So, John, you've seen Basket Case, right? Yeah, just uh, watched it again uh, a couple days ago. It had been a long time. Awesome. Awesome. How do you feel about the film? Uh, I think I liked it a lot more the first time I saw it, but I, I still enjoy it. I mean, it's just so... <clears throat> The people around him are just so creepy, and he, Dwayne, seems so innocent, yeah, and just, just so naive, and, and honestly oblivious to all the crap around him. I mean, the the place he's sleeping in is a shithole, and he's just like, okay, like just goes along with it, and yeah. just deals with the people that are there. I mean, somebody nowadays like me, I, I, there's no way I'd sleep in a place like that. But he's just like, okay. Well, it, speaking to his to his uh, naivete, when he first shows up at the hotel and he's renting the room, and he pulls out that ginormous wad of money, yeah, like you don't do that, dude. You know, <laughs> I'm an Iowa boy, and I even know better to walk into some crappy little uh, seedy uh, uh, New York hotel and pull out a giant wad of money, and you see the 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 the, the creepy guy in the corner just. Eyes popping out of his head, licking his lips. Look at what he's got. Wad exactly. Which was, I think that that wad of cash was supposedly or jokingly said to be the entire budget of the movie. <laughs> Probably. Which this, I'm not shocked by. Do you have this on? Do you have this one on DVD, John? Yeah. Is it the? Uh, I'm assuming it's the um, the something weird. Yeah, I just have the DVD version of the something weird version. That's a great disc, though. It's got a great commentary track, and it's also got that um, that kind of tour, that uh, Frank Henlon mm -hmm. tour that he does of the locate of the locations. Going and to that sex bar. <laughs> yeah, the sex bar. Um, I, I love how they go to the to where the hotel location stuff was, 
and where they filmed the where they filmed the lobby scene, for the the registration counter uh, with the the hotel manager and the him standing there with the big wad of cash. All it was 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 an open elevator. They just opened yeah. an elevator door and put a desk in front of it, and that was the uh, that was the um, manager check-in desk area. And how the the hallway leading to the rooms that was all just built with cardboard and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just goes to show, like you know, just the uh, the blood, sweat, and tears, and the ingenuity and the imagination put into when you have such a minuscule budget. It's quite. It's actually quite. It's quite fascinating. To watch the uh, that tour on the DVD. Yeah. And the way he cheated a lot of things. And it works. It all works in the film. Now, have you ever seen Brain Damage before, John? No, I have not. It's been on my list for a long time, but I just I haven't acquired a copy yet. Oh, it's so awesome! So awesome. I'm a I'm a I'm a big Frank Cannellotter fan. I love all of his movies, including Bad Biology. Bad Biology. Um, but. Uh, I'd have to say it's always been Basket Case was my favorite, but I think nowadays I really have to say Brain Damage is my favorite. What are your thoughts, Justin, between the two? Mm, I, I have Basket Case was a when I was really breaking out and getting into a lot of fringe cinema. Mm-hmm. That was one of my early explorations with my buddy Al and. I have so I have, I have a real strong emotional attachment to that one that I don't to brain damage, but okay. So I I mean both good, but I I'll always have a soft spot for Basket Case for that reason. Yeah, I get that. I get that. For me, it was USA again. It was USA up all night that really introduced me to Basket Case. Yeah. So that movie. I don't know. I I can't really describe the emotional feelings I had in first watching that movie, but describing it is like I can just remember being downstairs home alone, all the lights off, and watching this movie that's just as dark as my own surroundings, and really getting myself more involved with the film, but just how fucked up and weird this movie is that I'm watching. It's. I. I really can't describe the the emotional connection I had to the movie the first time, but that feeling does still stick with me every with every viewing. Now the sequels, on the other hand, Basket Case two and three. Well, before we move on from Basket Case, I think it's worth noting on that something weird video is one of the strangest <laughs> bonus features ever. And that's Beverly yeah. Bonner's New York like public access show. <laughs> Have you guys? Has anybody watched that but me? Oh, I've, I watched. I've it. not watched it yet. Holy shit! It's <laughs> it's so great. It's clearly, you know, one of those PATV like you know small probably local station that's in one of the boroughs, and who knows how far it actually travels in terms of the, but. And, and it's, a, it's a variety show that sh- where they do a bunch of characters. So it kind of looks like Saturday Night Live in a way, but on an, imagine that like in a kid's basement. And it's, it's, it's Saturday Night Live, but on a hee-haw's budget. Oh, sub-hee-haw, man. It's something else. 
and she's she's a baby in half of it, and it's none of it's funny, and it's it's just so it looks like it was a made up like if you were to it looks like it's from Amazon Women on the Moon or something, like <laughs> one of those films where it's like you're flipping the channels and you come across this like what the hell or maybe Weird Al would have done this. It's just so weird and terrible and wonderful, and it in a way is a perfect accent, the perfect dessert after Basket Case is to watch Beverly Bonner's TV show. <laughs> I really recommend checking that out. Yep. Oh, man, I want to watch it now. I'm going to put my disc in. <laughs> <laughs> it is like watching Siren Night Live, but replace every actor from Siren Night Live, every comedian from Siren Night Live with Beverly Bonner. Oh, that's she's already funnier every... than Saturday Night yeah, Live. She, she's all of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's definitely a treat. I love how it's got like when it goes into the next skit, they use the really shitty um, dissolves and wipes and like editing software 101. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. <laughs> But oh, well, I bring and I, but I I bring up uh, Basket Case two and three just because I, I had not watched Basket Case three since um, it first came out, on video, and I remember not liking liking three. I liked two, but even two still does not hold a candle anywhere near to, the magic of what one is because. You know, it gets away from New York, and so it doesn't. It's not all. CD and gross. It's just all about like, here's this, here's this like farmhouse full of all these mutants, these extreme impossible, <laughs> um, impossible mutants that defy all physics. But um, you know, and some and some of it's some of the makeups you know are fun and whatnot. But uh, <clears throat> but by the time they get the three, three is. Th- I'll say this: three is the Gremlins two of the Basket Case trilogy because it's just, it's just pure satire of what came before. And so I watched it again recently for for this, uh, for for this episode because I hadn't seen it forever and I remember not really liking it very much the first time I saw it, just because it, it was so off the rails from from the other from even the second film. And I'm watching this movie and the guy that plays Dwayne, you know he. You talked about how he's just you know kind of innocent and whatnot in the first film, but he's just he's just off his rocker in the third film, and and I, and the movie is cracking me up. It is it's hilarious, but it's all so self self satire at this point. Like it cannot be taken seriously at all. It's it's I real watching it this time. I realized it is totally done for comedy. You know you get. Robo Belial in the in the third act of the movie, where he has to go and save his his uh, Belial children from the uh, evil sheriff, and it's just it's just crazy and ridiculous. Dwayne, I, I never saw that. Now you had me intrigued. It it the full movie's available on YouTube, so if you are looking for it. Um, <clears throat> Dwayne spends literally. You've seen two, though, right, Justin? Yes, I've seen two. So, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen two. Big spoiler alert. But, you know, at the end of the first movie, it appears that uh, 
Dwayne and Belial fall to their deaths, but find out that they weren't dead. Um, they uh, they're getting taken off the to this hospital, but this this uh, this woman who calls herself Granny shows up and frees Belial and Dwayne and takes her to takes them to her this like farmhouse where she um, keeps all these mutant people. It's kind of like a mutant refuge. Uh, there's a guy with this like oversized rat face. Um, there's this kind of pinhead type character. Um, and there's even a female Belial in the movie too that Belial falls and falls in love with and ends up having sex with, and that's an amazing moment. But two ends with Dwayne just com- completely off his rocker, going freaking crazy. Um, and. Uh, just uh, and I guess not to give too much away, but you know it ends. It ends on kind of another downer note. So by the third film comes along, Dwayne ends up having to spend um, his uh, like the first half of the first whole half of the movie literally in a straitjacket. Like every he gets on this bus and they go to go to this other you know farmhouse whatever and. The whole time he's just in the straitjacket, so it's just it's it's funny and it's really crazy, and so on. Um, before we go on too much further, uh, looks like um, John, you gotta take off, do you? Yeah, I'm old. I've gotta get up <laughs> okay. super early tomorrow, so gotta gotta go to work. Well, cool, not a problem. We 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 are all old. <laughs> Um, I had fun though, guys. I mean, thanks for having me on. It was it was a good time. Uh, good, yeah. Just uh, good, do yeah. me a favor and talk about Frankenhooker after I leave. I love that movie. <laughs> just just got to mention it because it's Frankenhooker. So absolutely. Well, you can't bring up Frank Henelotter's filmography without Frankenhooker. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks a lot, John. Thanks for being. All on. right. Bye, you guys John. have a good rest of the time, man. See ya. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. So anyway, yeah. So Basket Case Three is just is is freaking nuts. I would really like for you to see it, Justin, and get your opinion on it because it sounds great. Yeah, it. In retrospect, it is great. My my new adult love and fascination with craziness and cheesiness. Um, the movie definitely does not disappoint on any of those levels. It's it's so funny. That's great. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna break that disc out sometime soon, for part one. Give that another watch. <laughs> okay, uh, just real quick. I just gotta. So again, like I said, Dwayne spends half of the movie in a straitjacket, and there's a scene like Granny doesn't trust him anymore for obviously the reasons of the events that happened at the end of the first at the second movie, um, and and so he's he's forced to stay in the street jacket and he's only allowed he's only allowed to tag along just so granny can keep an eye on him so she keeps him locked up in this room and she comes into this room and like chews him out for again um getting all getting Belial all riled up and upset and everything and and the whole time he's just like so wide-eyed and just every Every word out of his mouth just sounds like the, the ramblings of a crazy person, and 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 she's and she's just like, but he, by this point he's calmed down a bit and he's like, you know, you don't have to worry about me. You can trust me. 
I'm okay now. I'm doing okay. I'm much better. And she's like, are you sure? If I take the straight jacket off, you're not going to try to run, are you? And he's like, no, no, I won't. I, I'm okay now. So she takes the straight jacket off of him. She leaves the room. And he just, he just at a blink of an eye, just turns and jumps out the window of the, of the, of the room that he's in. It, it's, it's, it was so hysterical. And you can just hear him crashing on the ground and everything. Yeah, definitely check out Basket Case 3. And while you're at it, since um, since John wanted to bring it up, uh, check out uh, Frankenhooker as well. Frankenhooker. <laughs> That's more like a suburban movie. I don't know. I have different feelings about that one, but crazy. Well, yes. Yes same. and no, because what's his name? What's his name? Lives in the suburban area, but when she goes all prostitute on her, she goes right. into the town. Tootie. Yeah. Tootie. Tootie. Well, probably the best as far as New York sleazy scene was that was the uh, the scene of him trying to find all his hooker parts. Hooker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hooker parts. Hooker parts. All right, so there you go. There's the films of Frank Hen and Lonnie. Yay. Yeah. Any other any other films anybody wants to bring up? Okay. Looks like we've been going for a couple hours now. We should probably maybe start uh drawing things to a close. Um so unless anybody else have anything to add or maybe some honorable mentions or whatnot. Uh, if not, we will take a quick break and come back and do some segments. Anybody? All right, fair enough. <laughs> so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, it'll be segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Attack of the Killer Podcast's own Jason Bollinger is going on tour with his band, the PBJs. The PBJs are hungry to play shows, so they continue with the Way to Go Tour, starting May 15th at Tips for Trails Fundraiser at the Tom Tom Tap in Otomo, Iowa, May 22nd at Back Alley Band Fest 2015 with the Islanders in Keokuk, Iowa, May 24th at Bobo Fest 2015 in Carthage, Illinois, June 5th at Fire Trucker Brewery in Ankeny, Iowa, June 14th in Des Moines, Iowa at Vintage Maid Fair, June 15th in Kansas City, Missouri, June 16th in Wichita, Kansas, June 17th in Norman, Oklahoma at the Red Brick Barn, June 18th in Armorillo, Texas at the 806, June 19th in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Broken Bottle Brewery, June 20th in Flagstaff, Arizona at the Cultured Cafe, June 21st in Canyon du Grand, June 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada, June 24th in Fresno, California, June 25th in Sacramento, California, June 26th in Redding, California, June 27th in Portland, Oregon, June 28th in Seattle, Washington at the Sea Monster Lounge, June 29th at Spokane, Washington, 
at the Checkerboard Bar. June 30th in Missoula, Montana. July 1st in Billings, Montana. July 2nd in Rapid City, South Dakota. July 3rd in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Phoenix Lounge. For more information about this tour, check them out on Facebook, The PBJ's Band, or their website, thepbjs.com. So if you're in the area, check out the indie folk pop rock band, The PBJs, on tour with the Way to Go Tour. On the end of earth, we take our course and we all fall down. All right, we're back. And it's time for segments. So let's start off, as we do, with some shout-outs. It's time for shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! Shout outs! Alright, shout outs. Well, I asked, what are your favorite New York horror films? Any that highlight the dirty, grimy side of New York or that take place or in or were filmed in New York? Or any from your New York favorite New York filmmakers? Had a bunch of responses this time. And let's get started. So, Luane White said 1408, Chud, Sleepaway Camp, and The Stuff. Not a lot of Chud talk. That's, that's all. Oh, yeah, we did yeah. get into Chud. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> chud, too. Bud the Chud. Bud the Chud. Oh, I mean, Terry's intro was probably... You couldn't have topped that anyway, so... Yeah, that's true. Uh, Derek Patello says, Maniac, American Psycho, and Habit. Habit? We didn't talk about that. I don't know that one. Nope. Old Greg Amortis says, The New York Ripper. Yeah. Nice. Willis Wheeler says, Maniac, The New York Ripper, with the duck voice. LOL. That is that is a crazy movie. It's a Lucio Fulci film, um, and like the killer in the film, it's it's kind of jalloy, but it's definitely grungy New York. It it shows some really seedy stuff of New York, yeah, like the yeah. porno theater <laughs> with the live sex acts on stage. But uh, uh, the killer in the movie always calls like the police department or whatever, and literally literally does a dac- uh, uh, a Donald Duck impersonation. When he talks on the phone, so yeah, the killer does a duck voice throughout the entire movie. Weird. Italians. Cool. And then we have Patrick Crane says, "I love the Urban Decay in Wolfen." Yeah, we didn't get into Wolfen either. Holy cow! Wolfen. Uh, Jack Christensen said, "God damn that Willis Wheeler." Those were the two answers I was going to give. <laughs> says, I suppose you could count Basket Case and Jason Takes Manhattan. Heck yeah, you could count it. Yeah. Uh, Gerald Martin says, I'm going to second Wolfen. Uh, great cast and great feel to that movie, and nobody hardly ever mentions it. Yeah, like us. <laughs> um, we have Brian Angel. He says, Taxi Driver. Love it. It's such a New York dirtiness I don't know that's probably more of a thriller probably than it is uh, 
horror movie? No? Okay. No! Okay. <laughs> um, Casey Bates says, New York Ripper, Maniac, and Basket Case. Yes. Derek Jones says, Maniac, Escape from New York. No, we didn't talk about that. That's good. You don't need to. And uh, Randy Snodgrass second says New Year's Evil. We didn't talk about that. Oh, I didn't realize that was New York. No, Justin doesn't like that one. No, it's not a very good movie. It's it's one that I want. Eh, You know, the holiday movies are so great, and there's really not a lot of them around New New uh, New Year's Eve. But it's just, oh, oh man. And I revisited my videotape this last year because the Blu-ray was coming out soon, which was weird because the Blu-ray came out in, like, March. Like, why? If you're going to, and they announced it maybe November or something, it's like, why don't you just put it at New Year's? Put it in January, right? Or December, something anyway. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Lisa Norvell Owen says American Psycho, Maniac, and Jason Takes Manhattan with three exclamations. Uh, Sunny Bax says Great Topic with three exclamations. I am I don't remember that movie. Um, okay. Uh, Derek Patello is back. He says, Oh wait, my absolute favorite is Rosemary's Baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Favorite what? Yeah. <laughs> Favorite, Favorite piece of thing. F- yeah. Long boring crap. <laughs> Sorry if you like that movie, but it is just... <laughs> Yeah, we need to get Derek back on the show just to see where he went crazy. Um we have Matthew R. Holland says Street Trash. Guilty pleasure. Son of a bee, we didn't get into street trash. Well, that'd probably be just me talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Have you you've seen it though? Right? Oh yeah. Justin? Oh, oh come on, yeah. Okay, and you seen it too, Jason? Yeah. Oh well, why didn't we talk about it? Cause it, cause. <laughs> you should, we probably shouldn't. Anyway. Dude, dude, <laughs> it's got everything you want in a movie. No, it doesn't. It has everything I don't want in a movie. It's got melting bums and 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 playing. Playing uh, keep away with a person's penis and um, necrophilia with a woman found in a in a junkyard. Uh. Yeah, see. <laughs> Couple more. Uh, we had Andrew Morris. He says Jason takes Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that the fake name, or do they just shoot a lot in Vancouver? <laughs> They probably shot a lot in Vancouver. I mean, I don't know. It was. All the actors seem Canadian now that he says that. And then lastly, we have Ragnar R. says, Does Death Wish count? It's pretty pretty horrible and meant to evoke fear. It's got a serial killer in it, so yeah. Yeah. All right. Mike counts it. Counts it. And nothing on Twitter, so thanks everybody for commenting. You can always call in at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP to leave your comments. And that was shoutouts. Well, thank you, Jason. You bet. Okay, so 
Now that shoutouts are done, let's uh, see what's happening in the world of words with Wicked Words with Wear Terror. Ow! I'm just going to do a, a short segment because it's based on a short story. I'm um, going to be discussing the birds. Uh, obviously, the film was the Alfred Hitchcock classic. It was based on a short story by, forgive my pronunciation, Daphne de Marier. It's French. I don't speak French, but that's close enough. Um, there are a lot of differences between the two. Um, the short story, I'll try to focus on that since hopefully everyone's fairly familiar with the film. Um, in the short story, we are set in London as opposed to California and Bodega Bay. Um, and the time frame is also different. In the short story, we, um, we're right after World War II. Um, and then we have a recent war veteran who we follow for the whole story, who is a male. So it's kind of a juxtaposition there. Uh, but he's a, a, a disabled war vet and he's a farmer and he's living with his family in this um, small community. And we open in the story and he's observing all the weird, weird avian behavior um, that's all around him. Which they, I guess they foreshadow a bit more in the movie. They they don't lead right off with, you know, weird birds. Because um, in the movie, if you recall, we do start in the little pet store um, where she's there buying some lovebirds. So there's a bit of, it's more playful hinting at weird bird stuff that's going to be happening. If the, you know, the title, The Birds, didn't give it away. Um, and then in the story, one of, I know in, in the movie, they don't really ever figure, they kind of blame all the weird bird behavior on Melanie, if I recall, because she was new to Bodega Bay and they just assumed that she brought whatever this was with her. In the short story, it's kind of focused on the fact that the birds seem to start acting oddly whenever the tide is rising. I'm, I guess moon phases, tide rising, things like that. Um, and there are a lot of other similarities. You know, he finds his, uh, Nat finds his neighbors dead and eyes pecked out and things like that. Um, and they both end fairly um, openly. Um, there's the, the classic ending from the film where they manage to get in the car and they drive off but you don't know if they're safe. They're just listening to the broadcast saying, you know, talking about this bird epidemic and, and they're just driving through all of this bird filled scenery and the short story, um, it ends with Nat. He is smoking his, his last cigarette that he has and 
he throws his empty cigarette box into a fire and he just watches it burn and it ends. So they're both really open-ended, which apparently bothers a lot of people. I'm a big fan of the open-ended story, but, um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of differences, but what Hitchcock really did well was keep the same tone which I think is more important than anything. He really carried that over really well, and he made it more current and um, reachable for people at that time. So very successful adaptation, obviously, because Hitchcock is awesome. That's true. It, it is true. That's totally true. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Guess what time it is? What? Get your, get your finger out of your nose. It's mm-hmm. time for Insane's Pick. Worth the wait. This is the greatest intro ever. <laughs> I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh, it's Pick's time. Hey, how's it going? Okay, so keeping with New York, New York, New York, and um, also, guys, I realized another one we didn't talk about, Midnight Meat Train. That's not my Insane's pick, but we didn't talk about Midnight Meat Train. I like it. Anyway, so my uh, Insane's pick this time, again, uh, keeping with the New York theme, was a, a, a little unknown film from uh, 1983 called Of Unknown Origin. Okay, how many of you guys have seen uh, the the movie Mouse Hunt? Sure. The comedy about the the two guys are trying to kill the mouse and they end up tearing the whole house apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, replace Nathan Lane with Peter Weller, and you have this unknown classic horror horror film of unknown origin. So it's basically the same thing, only a horror film. And the fact that it's Peter Weller instead of Nathan Lane pretty much makes it a horror film. So the story goes, uh, Peter Weller plays Bart Hughes. He's married to um, Mrs. Gene Simmons herself, Shannon Tweed. Um, He's kind of, you know, it's kind of a yuppie couple. They have a young son. Uh, they, they've uh, been renovating this Brimstone house in New York. The wife and the kid leave for a vacation, leaving Peter Weller behind to stay to work on, uh, to work, to, you know, work on the house some more and, and, um, and whatnot. But there is an unwanted visitor in their basement. It's this oversized rat that's got the, um, which is like highly intelligent and, and Peter Weller's character goes a little bit on the crazy side trying to kill this rat. Like, traps won't kill it. Rat poison won't kill it. And it gets to the point in the third act where he is all ramboed out and he's got nails through a baseball bat. And, and he's, like, smashing up all the uh, nice fancy furniture trying to chase down and kill this rat. So, <clears throat> it's actually... It's actually um, it's not a comedy. I make it kind of sound like a comedy. It's kind of it's a it's a dark film, uh, but um, I and this was another uh, movie that I first saw in USA up all night, and didn't even know what the name of it was until decades later trying to track this film down. So it is kind of a harder one to find, um, 
but uh, it is a pretty cool film, a lot of fun, um, an interesting kind of, um, um, you know, trying to talk about like class and and possess and um, materialism and whatnot versus um, versus this like mutant giant rat. It's not really a giant. I mean, it's a big rat. It's like the size of a small dog, but. but um, and it's like really smart and everything too. So, um, but it's a cool film. So definitely check it out. Of unknown origin. Rat. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's it. That's another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Did it? We Woo. sure did. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, any final thoughts before we head out, guys? Just watch your back when you're walking through New York. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You never know. You watch never know. Out for the toxic waste and the machetes and the baskets and you know stuff like that. Yep. Pretty much yep. everything. If this movie taught you anything is don't go in the sewers. At four in the morning, you'll get dumped with toxic wastes. Don't trust people carrying around wicker baskets on subways. <laughs> All things you would normally do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be quite comfortable with. It's yeah. a complete betrayal of our sensibility. <laughs> <laughs> How handy would toxic waste that turns people into babies be, though? Like, there's got to be some application. <laughs> <laughs> Where that would be like a treasured just commodity. Just the big do-over barrel, you know. Just yeah, like, <laughs> start ah, over. Really fucked up. Time to jump in there. <laughs> ah, but your face is gonna become mush and whatever. Mouth out of water out of your mouth. Well, that's all right. I'll 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 deal with that. <laughs> Bring it on. Toxic waste of youth. As yes. long as I don't go to hell after that. That's all I ask. Uh. Nice. Jason loves it. Not as much as Mike. <laughs> they still talk about that on... Um, on Land of the Creeps? Land of the Creeps. I'm pretty sure they do. Did you ever listen to the promo that I made for the show? No. I Yeah, I talk about it in the promo. <laughs> yeah. You should listen to our promo. Oh, it's, it's, so it's pretty funny. All right. And well, thanks again, uh, Justin, for hopping on. Yeah, yeah. Thank awesome you. having you here. I wish um, I could have been here the whole time. I really appreciate you guys having uh, given me the nod. Thank you. Missed Thank the you sound back. of your voice. Uh huh. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> and also, special thanks out there to John again for for joining us on this episode. Fresh meat. Yeah, fresh meat. Yeah, who's John? He sounds like a nice guy. He lives where you live. Yeah. Ah, he, in this he came down. Room? He came down to Insane's Asylum once and just kind of hung that. You know, knew him ever since. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And of course, thanks to the old meat of the show. Oh, Terry. Oh, Terry. 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 What's up, old meat? Oh, God. That is a straight-up atomic nickname. You, both, you guys all have these grotesque nicknames. I'm Queef Bat. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
par for the course. I'm sorry, Terry. You've finally fallen victim to the uh, someone named. This is the longest outro ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for being on. We will talk to you again soon. Good Goodbye. Cold meat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, could this be the end of? Wow.